Hello, everybody, and welcome into After Film, a casual film discussion podcast. My name is Bradley, and today on the pod, I invited my friend Rachel to join me in discussing the 1997 film Titanic, one of the most popular films of all time, one of the highest grossing films of all time, and a film that is in my personal top 10 favorite films of all time. Titanic is currently being re-released in cinemas for its 25th anniversary, and I never had the chance to see this film in the cinema before, despite seeing it a million times in my life because I just love it. And so I didn't want to waste this opportunity, so I hauled my ass to the theaters. I saw it twice. It was very, very exciting. And then Rachel is somebody who also really loves this movie. We chatted for about two and a half hours, and I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, we, we just kind of riffed. We were just two friends talking about a movie we both like. And so there are some things we talk about for maybe longer than we should some things we don't dive deep enough into that I kind of wish listening to this back I'm like ah oh, I wish we covered that a bit more but overall I hope you enjoy this podcast I hope you enjoy this podcast if you enjoy the film I hope we make you laugh I hope we kind of make you cry a little bit too I hope this podcast just adds to your kind of emotional experience and your enjoyment of the film Titanic the next time you give it a watch there is a really good scene by scene Titanic podcast if you are looking for a really good breakdown of everything as it happens kind of in order without missing a beat it's just called Titanic scene by scene. I found it in Spotify and they do about half an hour to an hour on each scene from the DVD. There's 30 official scenes in this film. And so you get a real good deep dive there. Otherwise, if you have any emails for us, Rachel and I love reading your feedback. If you have any feedback or just questions about the film Titanic, we'd love to hop back on to discuss your observations and your questions, as well as if you have any feedback about this podcast. If you're like, hey, you guys saw this the wrong way. This is how I viewed this. We'd love to hear it so we can hop back on for a feedback episode. You can send those emails to afterfilmpod at gmail.com. And I think it's time to just hop right in and, and start chatting about Titanic. Thanks, everybody. All right, Rachel, we are here today to talk about a 1997 film that the folks listening may have heard of before. It's called Titanic. It's directed by James Cameron. It came out in 1997. It runs for three hours and 15 minutes, which is a very long time, but it, feel, it feels like 10 seconds when you're watching it. And it grossed over $2.2 billion at the box office. And that's just an incredible number. I think we should start, Rachel. Because this movie's been out for so long and because we've both watched it, I'm assuming you've watched it a hundred times like I have. We should start with our relationship to the film Titanic. So why don't you just describe how, how, like, when did you first watch the movie? How has your relationship with the film changed? How did you watch it just recently for this podcast? Okay, so my first memory of this movie actually is seeing it on like the very top shelf of my parents vhs collection classic because when i was growing up um we were allowed to watch any sort of like shooting gun movie and like explosions violence go ahead but as soon as there was a sex scene they were like no no that's inappropriate we're fast forwarding so for obvious reasons uh the Titanic wasn't number one on the we should share with our kids viewing list for my parents. Can I pause for two seconds? That's absurd. The the drawing and the car sex is like 10 seconds of this movie. This movie, again, is three and a bit hours long. And the inappropriate sexness for children is like such a small part of it. Sorry. Yeah, but there's boobs. There, there, there's a single boob. Yes, there is <laughs> a single boob. There's a singular boob. Fair. That's fair. But, um... Yeah, I think I actually, I was very familiar with the entire movie, having seen bits and pieces of it 
throughout my childhood but it wasn't until I like got really stubborn one day I think in university and it was on Netflix and I was like I'm just gonna watch the whole damn thing and I just was like a mess on the couch for a number of hours and I watched it recently so that we could talk about it today and it was the exact same thing just yeah, your text during your Discord message just being like, I can't do this. I can't watch this. Like, I could tell when you got to the ship sinking part, like it hit the iceberg because <laughs> you, your messages are like, oh, this is so adorable. Jack and Rose are great. And they're like, oh, shit, no, I can't watch this. Please don't make me watch this. I... Why am I watching this? You sent me photos of your dog and the blankets <laughs> and everything. You were you were struggling during the back third. I it's it's one of those things that you watch because you know you have to and you owe it to the story that they're telling to see it through but it's hard it's hard to watch but in, in a way that's nice because it's hard to watch because they've done such a good job of telling the story I'm still gonna be a puddle of tears at the end but uh, uh it's real sad absolutely um so my experience with the film titanic in my house growing up my mom was i'm sounds like the opposite of your mom she couldn't care <laughs> i was like five and she's like brad everyone has nipples you're gonna have to figure it out and we're watching movies with boobs and i'm like cool mom awesome thanks like she just she whatever movies she wanted to watch she was watching and she was not gonna let the fact that she was a person with children derail her this happened with movies and tv shows and music it didn't matter she would just like i i, I actually think like rather nicely just explain what was going on and then just give me the option of watching with her and getting her adult explanation or not. And so uh, there were there were three films, two main ones and a third one that was on all the time when I was growing up. Um, Grease, which it seems like it's appropriate for kids until you actually listen to the song Grease and they call it a pussy wagon. And you're like, OK, maybe not. And then <laughs> and then um, so Grease was always on. Mom loves that movie. And Titanic was always on. So Titanic came out when I was two and my mom was in her mid 20s or something like that. Yeah, she would have been 25 when this came out. And so she loved yeah. Titanic. She was one of those people who wasn't in high school at the time, but went and saw it like a hundred times in the theater. We had all the VHSs. There was one where you had to put in two. I remember as a kid having to put in two VHSs because this movie is three hours and 15 minutes. It was minutes. two. It was, it was a two. full box set. Yeah, it was a box set of two VHSs. And so I watched this movie a lot as a kid. And as a kid, you don't, you don't capture it. You're just like, oh, this is fun. It's a cool movie. Shit gets scary mm -hmm. at the end. So I left and it was fine. As an adult, I've returned to this movie multiple times, kind of, I'll call it pre-COVID. It's just a fun movie. I, I was telling you before we started recording, I typically watch this really drunk. Like, this is a good mm -hmm. drunk movie. I'm typically, like, a bottle yeah. of wine deep before I even start. <laughs> and I typically don't even watch the whole thing. Like, it's on or it's on TV or, like, you click on it and you're just like, I'm just going to skip to the part I want to watch. Like, you don't, like, mm -hmm. I skip the first 20 minutes every time. Like, it's very rare that I sit down and watch this film as a whole. And so when I got the chance and it came out in theaters for the 25th anniversary, um, this is a foundational movie in my life. And so I was like, I'm going to go see this in the theater because I've never had that chance before. And so I, I went and did that a couple of days ago and it was transformationally good. How fantastic yeah. this film is watching it in the cinema, but also just, I think there's this like post COVID I don't want to call it baggage, but just like this post-COVID, like I'll call it baggage or trauma or whatever, that just as a society, we're just now bringing into everything. And there was so much more emotion in this movie for me this time. I was really moved by it. And I kind of felt every pang of happiness and sadness and horror and 
terror and like i was just so heavily rooting for jack and rose and all i just never have been more moved by this movie than when i watched it in the cinema and i'm also you're 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 on the same journey as me we consume a lot of the same media for those of you listening we're recording this in february of 2023 and my current media habits over the last six months have accidentally been depressingly sad i think (laughs) taylor swift released midnights and the 1975 released their new album and both of those are sad in parts and since then just accidentally all the books i've read have been sad the last of us is on right now and that just makes me cry on a weekly fucking basis i watched banshees of in a sharon last week and that's just sad so like just accidentally every bit of media i've consumed has just been like and so i went into titanic being like oh yay (laughs) i like this (laughs) i'm just gonna have a good three hours and then i was so sad the whole time so yeah there's i love this experience watching the movie i'm so happy we get to talk about it but i hope that's a good yeah i hope that gives you and the audience a good picture of uh, how (laughs) i feel about this film a lot more context yeah the post-covid titanic is different than pre-covid titanic for me it's different yeah absolutely it's different where do you want to start uh for those of you listening we're just we're just having a romp here neither of us are professional movie critics we're just going to chat about this film until we mm-hmm. decide we're done we both have a glass of wine and so we're not going to go like in order or whatever we're just going to jump around if you have just any different. feedback or criticism or you hate it you can just email me and i'll read it and then never email you back so rachel where are we starting what's the first thing you want to talk about um i think kind of going off what you were saying earlier what occurred to me is the movie hits different hits differently based on when you watch it um because i will say for sure the first time i watched it it didn't occur to me i was so young maybe when i saw the scene because when i watched the whole movie i was older but when rose climbs over the the railing and she's holding on like that when i was younger it never occurred to me what she was about to do Oh, jump off the boat. Like this is the first no, sequence with Jack. The okay. first the first sequence. Yeah, when she's she's ready to like that never occurred to me. I was young. It just didn't she's click. Just, she's just smelling the salty air. She's just hanging out. It's just a yeah. fun view. Yeah. Like maybe that's incredibly naive, but I was a kid, so I'll uh, no, no, but, you're allowed to be naive. But now it's it's one of the saddest parts of the movie for me. Because it, this woman with so much potential is so trapped um and i think hopefully a lot of women watching period pieces can kind of relate to feeling suffocated when they see these kind of conditions that women were in at the time um it it hits really hard to kind of go back and revisit that um so that had a lot more uh, emotional impact later and obviously it's like you get older and you become like a person with a bit more emotional depth um, just more experience i think all the best stories yeah. are fun to revisit and with rose specifically I, i'll agree that it hit different this time um mm-hmm. i part of me part of me is like oh this is what it feels like like all this climate anxiety we're like oh yeah we're just gonna melt the planet and everyone's just gonna end up being like rose mm-hmm. like where you feel just trapped and there's nothing you can do and it's just everything's gonna get hotter until forever but what i liked about rose this time around and what hit me um this time is we're just better since i I haven't watched this movie over COVID at all so it's been about three years at Mm -hmm. least 
And so we're just a lot better at talking about mental health now and acknowledging it. And like, we're just, we're just, we have a more equipped understanding of what Rose may be thinking or feeling than maybe we did mm -hmm. before when we were a younger, but B um, when society was less good at talking about these types of things. And we're still a long way to go, but it is better. But one of the things that I've really been able to frame with Rose this time around is from the outside, especially for me, because I'm a fucking idiot and I'm a dude. Like, I'm just <laughs> like being a dude and a fucking idiot just makes you so far removed from Rose. But dangerous because you also have you also have because it is there's a lot of class in this movie. Right. So from one mm -hmm. point of view, Rose is extraordinarily privileged. Like whatever fucking issues she has are nothing compared to the issues that the third like the steerage passengers are going through. Mm -hmm. Like they're literally in real life, this isn't substantiated, but in the film, they're like trapped beneath the boat and people are like intentionally drowning them. Meanwhile, Rose is getting offered lifeboats by everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. So on one hand, you have all of this like extreme privilege that Rose is under, right? But you realize that like what, one of the things you can see in this film this time that I watched is you realize that just because the cage is like lined with gold and has a nice toilet and there's nice food being brought in. You're still in a cage and we it's can, still a cage. it's still a cage and you can, you can compare like having a nicer cage is certainly a better situation, but realizing that it is still a cage and this woman does feel immensely trapped in her situation is something that I certainly as well picked up on more this time than I may mm -hmm. have in the past watching this movie. I've done a real, real 180 on Rose. A week ago before I saw it. And we did were you ever dislike Rose? I did, I did message you about this. Do you remember like a week ago where I was like, Rose sucks. I hate Rose. Do you not remember that? I messaged that to you. No, and then you said- I must then I you, must have glossed over that because of how incorrect it sounded. And then you, then you said, oh, weird. I'll look out for it when I watch it this time. And then I then I watched it this time and I've done I still have two questions. I still have two things that bother me about Rose, but that's down from like 57 from my last list of. So, yeah, I've done a real 180 on Rose the, this time watching uh, the, this this time watching through Rose really stuck out to me as a, a much more not not sympathetic, empathetic character, someone who I'm way more rooting yeah. for than I have been in the past. In the past, my dumb idiot brain was like fucking Rose, rich girl, like shut up and stop. Like compared to all the other people, you don't have real issues. And then this time I'm like, oh, you have some pretty real issues. That's fair enough. But yeah, I'll throw that down to being a dude who's a fucking idiot. But yeah, it's also I think like it de depending on how familiar you are with familiar you are with like Victorian literature or like anything from that era, like anything from Jane Austen. You get into the brains of women who are trapped in these situations. Obviously, the nineteen the 1910s is later so just having that background at least for me it was easier to slip into rose's shoes and see like yes rich but also yes this sucks and what you don't realize as well is i picked it up this time too is rose is fucking done with the whole thing before jack ever shows up which i think is a really nice touch like she's sitting there in that mm -hmm. one scene and she's like smoking when her mom doesn't want her to smoke and she's mm -hmm. the guy's explaining how the fucking boat is made and she couldn't give two shits right like mm -hmm. cal is ordering her lamb for her and she's going off about the other guy and their preoccupation with size and i was like man, yeah. Ro <laughs> was like, man rose is rose is batting or pitching 100 miles she's an hour smart. from second one you, oh, you, I actually I never caught that Freud joke the first two times I watched it. And it's a great joke. It's such, it's such a good joke. And I just yeah. yeah, to to take off a bit of the seriousness of Rose and go into 
just how incredible Rose was in this wash. I think I put in my notes that the amount of times in this film that I could stand up in, in a good way and be like, that is the sexiest thing I've ever seen was a thousand times. You can just like Kate Winslet as Rose and the way Rose as a character is written, right? Like you are meant to fall in love with Leo. You are meant to fall in love with Rose. You're meant to see either yourself or someone you find very attractive in those two people. <laughs> and every time they're just batting, uh, they're just killing it. They're just, oh, it's incredible. And I think you're, I keep saying batting because that's another metaphor, but it's pitching. You're pitching. <laughs> 100 miles an hour is a fast pitch, but they're pitching at 5,000 miles you per hour. 100%. You yeah, you're batting, you're batting 100% <laughs> is the metaphor. Uh, we're mixing our sports metaphors. For it's all, a, it's all for baseball. A, for a naval movie. Yeah, just two Canadians <laughs> talking about baseball. We have our own sports, but we're going to pick baseball. Yeah. <laughs> for, a, yeah, for a book about a boat or a movie about a boat sinking. Let's talk a little bit about... Wow. Jack. I want to talk about Jack just a little bit here. This whole thing is going to be about Jack and Rose for sure. Mm -hmm. I find I find the whole structure of this story to be very interesting. I, I couldn't I mm -hmm. hadn't quite remembered that these are the recollections of like a woman 80 years in the future, which really lends to this to just the overall structure of the storytelling, because um, I used to watch this movie and go like, man, Cal is really just a one dimensional asshole. And I'm sure those people existed. And I'm sure it's actually pretty accurate to a real person. Right. Mm -hmm. However, I'm like, oh, as an 80 year old recollection of her asshole fiance, this makes perfect sense. Of course, she yeah. would remember this guy as just the fucking worst. But to flip it to Jack, like, of course, she would remember Jack as just the best who only does nice things, who's only just very attractive and who says all the right things and does all the right things. And like, of course, Jack would show up to that dinner. And she even says, like, I'm sure he was nervous. But her rec her memory of him is him not being that at all. Her memory of him is him sitting there and just owning all the fucking rich people and telling them that, you know, I just take it one day at a time and I'm just here to live my life. I got air in my lungs and y'all are a bunch of pricks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I felt with Jack... In, in other viewings of this film, I've been like, he's just a little too perfect. Like, there's no real situation. They, tr they try and make you they try and make you feel at the end he shouldn't have stolen the coat or whatever. But uh, other than that, like, he's just always felt a little too perfect. But this time I was like, that's exactly what I need. I just need Rose. It's so much more romantic for Rose to remember Jack as like this perfect, you know, 48 hour boyfriend she met on the ship. And I was I felt that was really compelling this time around. Yeah, I think the way the story is told, like through the power of hindsight, I think it makes it more powerful. Because if it just happens, you just watch it and then it's over, but then you get the impact of seeing how it affected her. It's also, it's also a really nice storytelling trick. I noticed in your notes, you're like, what kind yeah. of fucking poker are they playing? Well, the secret is, Rachel, yeah. there's no version of poker where you can win tickets like that. <laughs> like, there's no collateral. Like, the way this, like, what is Jack putting up? What what if he loses? Like, what are, what is he giving them, right? But but if you told me, yeah, that poker makes no fucking sense because it's Rose 80 years later recollecting what Jack told her about him getting the tickets, then mm. all of a sudden it makes perfect sense that the poker scene doesn't exactly work They're like switching cards and stuff yeah is that no, a the, the, no this is not a game they're not playing a real game they're not it's certainly the stakes aren't making any sense because yeah. i just don't know what leo what leo what jack is giving up because if he wins he gets the tickets but what does he put on as collateral what, what does he give up if he loses right so yeah that's not a real thing they're doing but it makes sense when you think about it as 
Like Jack told her how he won the tickets and that didn't really make sense at the time. And she's remembering that 80 years later to tell the dudes on the boat. And so, yeah, I think I think it's a nice storytelling trick, too, where you can kind of smooth over the oddities of your movie by just being like, well, she is remembering it 80 years later. I can't even remember what I had for lunch a week ago. (laughs) Yeah, and I think like they do a good job because. I think kind of in like the subtleties of the storytelling, like Jack does seem very perfect. Like you watch this when you're 20 years old, you want to find your Jack. You want to find a man who will tell you to never let go. Right. Um, I watch this and I want to find a Jack. Come on. (laughs) I don't think you ever stop feeling that, to be honest. Okay, that's probably true. Give me a Jack or give me a Rose. I'll take either. Give me, give me, it's 2023. You can have either. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Yeah, in 2023, I want both. I'm greedy. Yeah. (laughs) But I think in like the smaller details, they do a good job of showing like he's not perfect. He's not a perfect person. But in all of the story story elements that count, he is perfect. So like, maybe he's a little selfish. Maybe he's a little proud. Maybe he's a little too pushy. But it's never in a way that affects how rose perceives him right but this is what i'm saying is because rose yeah. remembers jack as super pushy when he's outside the when they're at the 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 prayer right and he's like yeah i'm jack i was here yesterday do you not remember me right so to all the people mm-hmm. she doesn't like she remembers jack as like confident and antagonistic and standing up for her in front of all the rah but when it comes to yeah. her and jack and they're just hanging out he there's not a foot out of place like every step is no. Yeah, every step is perfect. He's a perfect heartthrob. He is. You, I guess, so you might have, if I was two when this movie came out, you would have been four or five. So you wouldn't have really remembered. It was five, yeah. My mom My mom tells me, like, Leo was, like, was the, the thing, the, the thing the for everybody. Like, whether you watched the Titanic or not, this was the movie that kind of, like, everyone knew him and wanted to either, either want to be him or be with him kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, the way my mom says this, like, yeah, you don't understand how famous Leo was when this movie came out. Well, I was okay. I I was reading a few interviews just before we started talking. Apparently, he didn't even want to do the movie. Interesting. And then, yeah, he was like goofing off during the auditions. And then eventually he did one serious take. And James Cameron was like, don't ever change what you did there. We'll hire you, but if you fuck around, I swear to God. He was already pretty famous too. He did. There's a few films that he did. I've seen Gilbert Grape, which was before this. Yeah. And he did Romeo and Juliet, which was before this, which is a terrible movie, but he's great. Was in that it. before the yeah. Buzz Lerman one? Yeah, the one with the guns. <laughs> <laughs> the one where Romeo and Juliet have weapons. That's the one. <laughs> Fucking nuts. That movie is. I could, I didn't know that was Baz Luhrmann, but I just watched Elvis last week. It's the same fucking psychopath who made both of those movies. <laughs> Did you not like Elvis? Elvis is fine. It's an okay film. Okay, I, I haven't seen it, so I wasn't prepared to judge you either way. That's fine. Austin Butler deserves his acting nomination, but the movie does not deserve its Best Picture nomination, is, is my take on Elvis. Anyways, this is not an Elvis podcast, mm. but I now that you're connecting those dots <laughs> in my head, I could be like, oh, I see how the dude who made Romeo and Juliet also made this Elvis film that I watched. Um, yeah, I just... For Rose and Jack, too, did you find... Because neither of us would have ever been in, like, this kind of situation. I found that story... The, the farther I get away from, like, my high school 
kind of early college days, I find those stories a lot more compelling. I don't know if it's nostalgia or just enough distance to separate how I can emotionally deal with things now versus like most teenagers are emotionally incompetent. You know what I mean? So like, I can just I can just with distance look back on my relationships and like friendships and the way I dealt with things as a teenager and be more and more critical because I just have more and more distance because I recently just read Normal People and just watched okay. Normal People. And that's a film or a film. It's a TV show and a book just about like two teenagers and like they're ending high school, going into college and their relationship and how they intertwine in each other's lives. And I, if I had read it when I was 20, I think I wouldn't have liked it very much. But the whole time, as I was a little bit older, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I can remember being this dumb and insecure and like communicating poorly. And I was watching Titanic this time as their relationship was going on. It lasts for about two and a half days. So not enough time for either of them to they're still very much in their honeymoon period. And I was like, man, I remember this part of my life when you could fall yeah. in love with someone in a second. Like you'd be at a party with someone and you'd never even met them. And by the end of the night, they were the love of your life. And maybe you hung out a couple times after. And in that, in those moments, it felt like it was going to be like forever. And then whatever your version of the boat hits the iceberg and one of you has to fall in the ocean. You know what I mean? But like, I just really yeah. related to that part of the film where it's like, this is a two and a half day love story. And I, I was so sold on that concept this time in a way that I don't think I've been before. When watching this movie yeah. or just reading other kind of stories like normal people that have a similar kind of relationship between younger people. They're meant to be 17 in this film. Yeah. Kate Winslet does not look 17. That's a separate thing. It doesn't bother me. I'm glad she looks older <laughs> considering she has a nude scene, but it's like all like all like the corsets and the fancy dresses I think make her look older, but I think yeah, no, I think you're it's a nostalgic sense cuz like when you're young and you fall in love for the first time. That's the most love you've ever felt in your life. It's, it's the most overwhelming. It's the, it's the strongest thing you've ever felt. And it becomes all consuming. And that's what you're about. And like now the problem is like, oh, do you live well together? Like, does he do his dishes? Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to, that's does he what I'm sing saying. in the shower? And it's terrible. That's what exactly Those what I'm saying like, is in a two and a half day romance you don't worry about any of those you don't things have the, that. the whole world is in front of you nothing is behind you and it, that other person is just perfect and and then i think the other part of it is yes they fall in love but i think before that he offers her a choice like to be free from you know, like everything she's felt um caged by so yet there's this really, really intense first love, but it's preceded by this opportunity to be more than she's she's ever been offered before. So you tie that love to that, that freedom and it, it kind of just resonates with that feeling that you have when you're young, when like you just feel like you can do anything. Like you have someone, you found someone, you can take over the world. And I think maybe that's why it resonates that's what rose says too she's like we're gonna get off this boat and i'm gonna have no money and i don't even know how the fuck we're getting anywhere but you're just gonna take me wherever you're going and i'm gonna have a great time jack definitely mm -hmm. represents like a savior figure for sure mm -hmm. in, in a nice way it, it doesn't escape me that this film isn't interested in it in a way that i really like but there are a lot of other pieces of media that are very interested in like what do you owe to the person that saves you and in this film they don't mm -hmm. even 
they don't even start to try and tackle that. But it is interesting that Jack comes. Rose, like whether or not I'm with Jack, Rose was never gonna jump. I don't think. I feel like that reading of Rose is correct. But she thinks that she was gonna jump. So to her, that's real that she was gonna do it. And then Jack came and saved her. And I wonder if again the movie's not interested in it. But I wonder how psychologically, because I've never obviously been in that situation. How how do you feel like you owe that person? Like, without that person, you'd be an icicle at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, right? And so that person, that person to you is, like, one of the only reasons you're still alive and on the ship. I wonder, I just wonder psychologically how that would play in real life, if you feel like a debt to be paid or not. That's not a question for me to try and figure out, but I find mm -hmm. an interesting kind of sub-story for someone else to maybe analyze about the film. Yeah, and I think, like, They've they've managed to end it in a romantic way because spoiler alert he dies. He's uh, gone. But he makes her promise to live a good life and do all the things they said they wanted to do, and not fall back into that kind of trap. And so in that way, she does kind of like she pays that debt to him because that's what he wanted, and she ends up doing it. It doesn't feel like a cost. But it is what she promised him. Right. So they, so like, obviously, you can't just, like, go around promising people that you'll do things or, like, owe people for forever. But this one, I feel like it was done pretty benevolently, so we don't feel like it was a bad thing. Yeah. I, I want to circle back to the pictures at the end. Those are one of my two problems that I still have with Rose that haven't. I have, really? Yeah, the photos at the end bug me for a very specific reason. But that's okay. I, they're, they're great for the story, but I have some questions about them. That we'll circle back to at the end. Um, I kind of want to talk about the other pieces of this romance that are going on. We have Cal, mm -hmm. who is just kind of our villain. And so I don't know if we need to talk about him much. But I found watching this, like, they just don't waste a secondary character. Every secondary character has a purpose, right? The the mom, uh, Rose's mom is there and she's there infrequently. Like she has that one scene, like she's there just enough for us to know what she's about, the kind of pressure she's putting on Rose. But then yeah. they kind of pull her back and they introduce um, Molly Brown and they introduce um, Cal a little bit more. And they kind of, by the end of the movie, you're kind of introduced to Cal's right-hand man like the family spy master that's going around and spying on them or whatever right and so they have this cast yeah. of side characters that are kind of popping in and out as they're needed but what i noticed is it was perfect like there's the perfect amount of each of those characters where you don't feel overwhelmed by any one of them but collectively you understand the pressure they're putting on this this romance yeah i think the film did a really good job with building a world on the ship there was just enough of everyone for you to understand like even the captain you basically knew where the captain was coming from or the the ship designer you knew about him cal you knew enough about him to know he was a piece of shit that's really all you need to know about cal um but nobody was just like there and then gone that's, everyone, that's everyone right. Everything. Yeah. Like they're just in and yeah. out exactly as they need to be to add to yeah. their piece of the story. And then the, then James Cameron's like, but I know these people really want to see Jack and Rose. And so he pulls them out, gives us like 20 minutes of Jack and Rose and then puts someone else back in to be the antagonist yeah. for a little bit. It's really well designed, well crafted. Yeah. And, and I like the way that it kind of felt like someone recalling a memory. Because like 
if I, if I were to go back and recall something that happened 10 years ago that was important to me, all I would really remember are the interactions that I had with those people and I wouldn't really know anything outside of that. Um, but I like the way that the movie goes and, and kind of portrays that, but also you have an understanding that all of these people kind of intersecting with Jack and Rose's story also have their own lives with their own stories. Um, even with the limited time we get with them. They're very well-rounded. They're certainly secondary. There's no there's no arcs there. And I'm one of those people yeah. that doesn't need my characters to go on an arc. We're going to talk about Rose later because she has an mm -hmm. arc, but it's not as it's not as big as like you normally get from your protagonist, right? But I'm more than happy. Like I don't know what the there's a lot of people who are obsessed with like character arcs, like every character needs to change all the time. Needs to have an arc, yeah. It needs to have an arc for it to be fine. I'm totally cool if you just tell a compelling story with someone who's not really changing, who's a little bit predictable, who's just going through life as they are and so yeah i think all the secondary characters they don't get their arcs obviously but that doesn't take away from their mm -hmm. effect on the story which i think is magnificent yeah and you don't have to change to be a good character you just have to be you just have to have depth right that's a good way to put it that's what i think too like i don't need you to change i just need to you need to be more than the one note yeah Although I realize depth is a bad way to describe characters who end up <laughs> end up as ice cubes at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, that's not ideal. That's okay, though. Mistakes have been made. You're stuck. It's not getting edited out. Um, I want to ask you uh, some questions about this romance. Uh, first question. What the fuck is Rose thinking bringing Jack back to her and Cal's room for this painting? In my brain, and I don't know why I thought this, because I have watched this movie genuinely like a dozen times before I watched it this mm -hmm. time, at least. In my brain, it kind of just mind-melded the car sex and the drawing as like one sequence, and it kind of is one sequence. There's a little running around in between, right? I did not remember that Rose brought Jack back to her room for this, it stuck. I almost stood up in my seat at the theater. I was there with a friend from work and I turned around. <laughs> he was sitting behind me. I was like, he's in the same room. I could not believe it. And then when Jack, who is smart, says, hey, Rose, hold up. Wait a second. Fucking put the brakes on. Uh, we're in Cal's room right now. Are we expecting him? And her, her brain goes, well, no, because there might be enough cigars to keep him occupied, which I'm sorry, Rose, is not good enough. This guy, you know, when this guy comes in here, he's going to like shoot Jack for sure. Like he's dead and you're in big trouble. What the fuck, Rose? This is not this is I don't have this. This is not one of my two problems. This is just something I could not believe happened. OK, see, I actually disagree. What? How? Okay. This is bonkers. This is psychopathic. So Oh my god. So, okay. Was there good lighting? Is the couch comfy? Like, oh. we Okay, well, first of all, she wants the she wants the diamond necklace. That's in Kel's room. Right. Location, convenient. That's the initial location. Yeah. And then she decides not to move. But I think, you know, she's joking about the cigars and the brandy after dinner. But we see after the dinner that Jack attends, that's really not an option. If you're a man at the dinner table, the meal finishes and you go and you have cigars and brandy in the smoking room and you stay there. You're not wrong. 
that is, long time. That is true. That is what the movie says. That's right. And I think if we accept that everyone on in the first class deck has to abide by these like kind of social strictures, um, she has a vague understanding of how long he's going to be. So it's it's definitely voyeuristic. I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's out of your mind bonkers. Really? It's basically, it's basically you telling your friends when you're in high school, oh, no, 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 we can, like, have a beer here. My parents won't be home till 10, when you know that they absolutely won't be home till 11. Right. And half the time the parents come home for some weird reason. I'm not buying this. I. It is voyeuristic. <laughs> it is voyeuristic. I, I think it's, I think it, I'm not going to lie to you, it's very... The whole situation in the scene in the setting, if I was getting Leo to paint a naked version of me, like that couch <laughs> and that room and everything, I understand why that room is good for that purpose. Mm-hmm. I just, if I'm Rose, you know what's going to happen. Even if there's a 0.1% chance he's walking in the room, she doesn't lock the door. She doesn't put anything in front of it. There's no extra, like the only shield, the only shield between this situation and certain fucking doom for Jack and her being in a lot of trouble and stuck on this boat with all these people that will surely hate her is her understanding of the gentlemanly customs. I, th- I think I think you're right in that it is almost certain that he won't come back for X, Y, and Z. But I the percentages are still. I, I wonder if you if you if you run that simulation a hundred times. I I think there is one in that simulation where he comes back for whatever reason he forgot his jacket. Someone's like, oh hey, I want to have that cigar with this brandy, and he's like, oh I brought those cigars. They're in my room. I'll go get them. I just think there's enough there's enough of a percentage chance here that this is crazy. Mm. In a in a way that I found very attractive for the the scene, but I still think this is crazy. I suspend my disbelief because it's a power move. <laughs> okay let's talk about this let's talk about this um, (laughs) yeah let's talk about this scene then because this is one of those moments this whole sequence is one of those moments where i was talking about where you can stand up and be like this might be the sexiest thing i've ever seen rose going in and just being like straight up i want you to paint me like one of your french girls like fucking yes rose go get it girl you know what you want and you're gonna get it. And then when she says, and since I'm a paying customer and pulls out the 10 cents, you're like, you just like, you just elevate again. You're like, this is definitely the sexiest thing I've ever seen. And then Jack has to like, cause you put in your notes that Jack would have never asked. And that's completely true. Jack, this has not even crossed Jack's mind. I don't think, cause he's like, wait, wait like this is actually, and that's when he starts asking like a smart person, like what about Cal when he comes into this room? Right, but yeah, it throws Jack completely off, and it is is exquisite. It's wonderful. I love this scene so much. Yeah, like the the chemistry between the two of them is like is lights palpable. out, lightning in a and bottle. Absolute and lightning in a bottle. You can't, you can't. You, that's an accident. You don't get that on purpose. That's just no. you cast these two people and just hope it works out. And in that, in the whole movie, but that sequence in particular just crackles. Yeah. And I think they do a good job of diffusing it actually in the movie because everyone's you're like watching, you're like, are they gonna? Are they? You're like, yes, no, what's gonna happen? And then it cuts to hundred year year old Rose and she's like, it was the most erotic moment of my life. And everyone else, even her <laughs> granddaughter's like, that sounds like it. That sounds like, like it was the yeah, yeah. I believe you. I believe and you. Pull, <laughs> and they pull you out of the story just long enough that you could like take a breath before like immersing yourself back in. But you can't you can't. I that kind of chemistry. 
No, they also have the funniest line too because it's before because they're getting dressed to go back. They weren't even planning on having sex in the car. Like what happens is the no. dude the dude comes and knocks on the yeah. door looking for Rose because Rose isn't at dinner or wherever, right? And mm-hmm. then they then they start running around, right? But she's they're all back there. She's dressed again after having done the photo, and then the <laughs> Leo Jack just goes like, "You look nice," and I'm like. Yeah, like, which is just such a funny line when she was just naked on the couch 10 seconds ago. Now that she's all dressed up, they're going to be like, oh, wow, you look wonderful. I'm like, yeah, she does look wonderful. But it's a weird thing to say after she was just naked on the couch for the last however long this drawing took. Like, yeah, they do an expert job with the pullout, but also with Jack's dialogue of completely diffusing it from this like because there is a risk that it, they they overdo it for sure yeah. right and it does genuinely i know i'm like hamming it up because it is a very like <laughs> sexy scene and kate winslet's very beautiful right but it is genuinely very like almost artistic in the way that mm-hmm. like the nudity and the sexuality and rose kind of breaking free of this cage that we talked about and she's just getting what she wants yeah. she's really confident She's in it to win it. She wants one of those paintings and by God, she's going to get it. And you can like really root for that separate from the the nudity aspect. And it, the whole thing is just so well done. Yeah. And I just, I, I love that at least in the movie, it was her choice. It's her idea. Like, yeah, it was her idea. She didn't like Jack didn't suggest it. No one offered it. She was like, I want you to do this. And it, and she, the way she actually used the picture was leaving it in Cal's safe, saying like, oh, "Now you, you can keep both. You can keep both of us locked up now." And it, it was just like a, a power, like obviously supremely sexy, but just a powerful moment of agency for her. So, yeah. If anything, Jack doesn't get a choice. Like I think, I, like, I wonder how yeah. this. I wonder how this scene plays out. I wonder how the scene plays out because there's no world in which Jack is saying no to this situation. But just for whatever reason, he doesn't want to. Like, I wonder how much Rose pushes. I wonder if she's the kind of person that like understands consent in 1910, or if she's like, "Mate, you're painting me like one of those French girls." Like, fuck off. I think it's the second. I think Rose is getting that painting one way or the other, and I think Jack is all all on board. But in the hypothetical situation that he's not, I think I think Rose. Rose has a bunch of power moves, doesn't she? That leaving the photograph yeah. is a power move. That her walking back when the ship is sinking, I I could not hold in my laugh because I just again you just forget that this happens in the theater where I'm trying to be really mm-hmm. quiet. When she walks back and she's like, "We should tell," like I don't like them, but we should tell mom and Cal the ship is sinking. That's fair mm-hmm. enough. And they walk back and they hold hands into the room, and so like she just walks into that room full of people. Like I am with Jack now. And none of you have to like <laughs> it, but it's a thing. Like, they don't even pretend to be coy about it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, power move. I love, yeah. Rose is full of power moves in this one. Yeah, I, I think it's like a, it's in the nature of degrees because it starts out small, right? Like, not wanting to spit off the side of the boat. And then by the end, she's literally like, I don't need a boat to save me. Like, I'll save my goddamn self. Right. Or, You're right. She is a little bit cool. hesitant about spitting off the. She has a few little moments yeah. like she. Yeah, Jack, her Jack, too, has like this like brief moment of nervousness going into the dinner. Right. Yeah. Um, Rose's recollection of herself is is nuanced enough. There are a few moments. Like, there is one moment where she's like naked on the couch and Jack is trying to figure things out. And she comes across like just a little self-conscious only for half a second. 
like just a little like is this right like is this pose right do i look good what does he think you can tell that that occurs to her for a second right and there's these other moments too when she's at the party like below deck party and yeah. right she goes from like i don't know these steps jack don't make me dance come on to like what do you think a first class girl can't drink a <laughs> pint of beer and like rose this glow up in like one evening is incredible yeah she goes from super hesitant like she's hanging out but she doesn't want to be a participant and then the second she's a participant mm -hmm. she's like i'm actually gonna drink all these people under the table because i'm fucking rose and these people are not and just like stand on her toes that was really funny that, too because it's like not even that impressive and everyone's like oh no, shit okay but okay i have done ballet i've been in point shoes like you don't just actually go on your toes like that to stand up like that you no like, i understand be... that now it's hard to do like, it was just a bunch of drunk steerage no. like none of the drunk steerage passengers are looking at that and going like holy shit like it's just like a fun that's, that's what makes it work for the stories. It's not genuinely yeah. like an impressive feat. It's just something she can do that's difficult to do that everyone's like intrigued by. And I think it fits with the theme of the party very well. Like the party well, is going on. It's like everyone stopped what they're doing to look at her. That would have been a bit weird. But the people in her vicinity are like, holy shit, that was pretty cool. I agree. Actually, what she did is really hard to do, like border borderline impossible. Because to go all the way up, you have to put all of your weight on your two big toes. Right, I understand. You aren't flat. I understand it's this. So, Rachel. You have to be on wires. Rachel, I, but I, also, I understand this. What I'm saying is that the drunk people on the boat in the scene didn't care that much. They were interested, but it wasn't like... Quite a little bit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the people in her vicinity cared a little bit. I thought it fit well. That's what I'm saying. I, mm -hmm. It is impressive, but it wasn't like... It would have been worse, I think, if she had done something so cool that it like show stopped the party, right? Like, like I like the, or something. Yeah, like I like that Rose is part <laughs> of the party and enjoying herself, and she's hanging out with Jack. But she can't just walk down into third class and everyone just go, "Holy shit, a first class woman!" Oh, stop the what is she doing here? Like she kind of just blends in. I, I think it works really well. I do, I do love that entire party scene. It's I fantastic. Wanna know, I want to know who trained Leo and Kate to do that tap dancing she, it's not tap dancing, she was a bit casual this is actually just turning into a rose podcast which i'm totally fine with yeah. <laughs> uh I, I found she was a bit casual having like gross titanic guinness spilt on her like in real life now i have access to like lots of clothing and modern washing machines and stuff and like getting guinness i guess it's yeah getting guinness spilled on you is gross i guess she just has other mm. outfits i don't maybe she doesn't care I mean, she'd already, like, abandoned the only appropriate floor for her to be on and gone to a party that she was never supposed to go to and then danced somewhere she never should have danced. So I'd say, like, in terms of the list of unacceptable things happening that night, beer on the gown, low on the list. It still smells bad and it's a bit sticky. I don't know. I just felt like if I got... Yeah. I was like, if you get Guinness spilled on you, that's, like, sticky and gross. You don't just like, then, like I don't think you just I don't think you just laugh it off. I think it's just gross for the rest of the night. But if that rich, do you ever wear that dress again? Probably not, to be honest. That's one thing I learned from uh, another fantastic series called Bridgerton, which is just in, in a in a class of its own, right at the top with Titanic and just beautiful storytelling. <laughs> one of the things they go over is that you can't wear the same gown twice, and that it's hugely socially unacceptable. Unacceptable, can't do it. Yeah, I reckon the World War One was kind of the barrier before World War One. Can't wear the same thing twice after World War One. It's like, eh, 
I don't know. Even now, though, like even in the modern world, I, I swear if like a woman that was on the news or the same outfit for multiple mm. nights, you get a bunch of assholes writing in. For sure. Honestly, if if I like went to work and people called me out for wearing the same suit, bitch, do you know how much a suit costs? <laughs> yeah, I I live in an Leave expensive city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, like, you, yeah. Dude, you don't live in a COVID place. happened. I gained a few pounds. I need a bigger suit now. Are you saying I need to buy 15 new suits? No. They're going to send you like the Steve Harvey clip of like, you need five suits. You need a tan suit, a blue suit, a gray suit, a black suit, and a blue suit. <laughs> and then you need a two different white shirts. And then the white shirts go with all those suit jackets. Then all those suit jackets go with all them damn pants. And then he's like, it's like, you just can't even keep track of what he's saying. He's like, you buy 10 pieces, you got 77 suits. And you're like, yep, sure, Steve Harvey. That math checks out. Good shit, man. God. That was a tangent. I don't know why. It's a funny no, clip. Like... If you've not seen that clip of Steve Harvey, it's worth, <laughs> it's worth watching. He goes ham. Now I'm just like picturing like Titanic theme family feud questions where it's just like, what Ooh. does a guy mean if he says, or sorry, what does a girl mean if she says, draw me like one of your French girls? And then someone's going to say, draw me naked. And he's going to look at them like he's the most offended he's ever been in his life. And right. he couldn't anticipate that answer. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good um, analysis of Steve Harvey's family feud hosting, especially, especially if you only, uh, especially if you only watch the clips. Can we talk a little bit? Yeah. Let's get to the disaster a little bit. Just so if we do run out of time, eventually we don't miss the disaster. Not mm -hmm. only is the love story of this movie just exquisite, one of the better love stories around, um, but this is also, I think, one of the best disaster movies, period. Right? I think in terms of love story, there's other love stories that I might be like a little more, but they're like the whole thing, right? Whereas this is an exceptional love story with one of the best disaster movies ever made. I, I found this time watching it through just, I mean, the older you get, the more disasters happen in real life. Like just statistically, like just the older you get, the longer you've been alive, the more disasters you've been aware of. And our current news media is just like, they don't give a shit about good news. They're just like disaster after disaster, yeah. right? They only want you to see the terrible shit that's happening. And so mm -hmm. when you're watching the disaster movie, you're really into it. Like I felt like, not in a good way, but I felt so moved by the whole thing. And it was just, it was terrifying and scary and I don't know, beautifully done. Like it just flows so well. And you can see like, even from all the, the kind of tertiary actors they have playing the guys that see the iceberg and ring the bell to the people underneath shoveling the coal in, all those people, they have really small roles, but they really bring a hundred percent to it. And oh, it just felt so sad the entire last third of the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the problem that a lot of modern disaster movies have is their only real goal is to make you care about the protagonist and the protagonist's love interest. Yeah, this the is entirely thing... different. I actually think for yeah. most of it, they're like, they kind of, the movie kind of tells you that Jack and Rose will be fine. Like, there's some anticipation with the handcuff stuff, but you kind of, you just kind of yeah. know, and maybe it's because I've seen it before. Like, okay, I know Jack and Rose are going to be fine till the end. Right. Yeah. And so like, I can kind of pay attention to all these extra people that are just running around. But yeah, all the people that were trapped below deck, uh, all the people that were like um, um, kind of 
you know, talking to their kids, like telling them lullabies, all the people that weren't like the, the one, the Guggenheim dude that was like, look, we're going down. I'm just going to dress up real nice. If we're going down, I'm going down like a gentleman. I was really moved by that too. Like just a person, like there's so many different reactions to the disaster that all make sense to me where it's like, yeah, look, like this sucks that this happened and I'm probably going to die. But if I am going to die, let's look good. Let's have a brandy. Right. And let's just enjoy it. The musicians, you kept talking about the musicians. Uh, absolutely um, heartbreaking. Oh, so good. Yeah. It, and it, it seems to be that every time Rose and Jack run by someone, the camera will pause. Yeah. And it'll it lets you slow pan to see who they looked at. And like sometimes it's musicians, sometimes it's a family, sometimes it's um, people who are in denial who won't get out of the dining area. But it's a very deliberate, like the second half of the story, I feel like is almost the more important part of the story. They give you Jack and Rose to make you care, to tie you to this narrative. And then in the second half, you're so invested in whether or not they survive that you're drawn like hook, line, and sinker into the stories of all these other people as well. I think what I like that it does the most is it does have those points where James Cameron knows that you're still watching a movie and it can't just be utterly depressing. So you get something like the handcuff sequence where it's yeah. like, we're just going to take a minute and just make you laugh and it's going to be really funny. And even this time in a theater with a bunch of people who've seen this movie, like I, 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 I want to be clear. When I went to the theater, it was full. I was in a yeah. theater with like two or 300 people and it was every seat was taken, right? They should release oh. this movie every year. I'd see it once a year for sure. Um, so I was in a full theater, which was exceptional. And the handcuff thing happens and everyone laughs. It's such a good release of the tension of the buildup and everyone's having a good time. And then you're right back into it. But I think what this film does really well is it's telling you a fantastical-ish. I think the word voyeuristic is actually like good for this whole. It's usually a word that's more sexual in nature, but like, like it's a good thing for the whole movie. It is like a voyeuristic retelling of this whole thing. It never at one, like at any moment, tries to take you away from the tragedy of it all and how harrowing this really is and how many people died and how they died and what they like. You get some zoom ins like this is what freezing people look like. And this is what panicking guards look like. And they start shooting people. And this is what selfish men look like. And this is what Rose confident Rose looks like trying to save Jack. Like, you get all these different types of people. And yeah, the movie is really interested in making you feel the tragedy of it. And not, it does not shy away from it. It's it's harrowing. No. Oh, and, and it's why I have such a hard time watching the second half of the movie because, like, it the sinking of the ship itself was slow. And from the moment it hits the iceberg, Victor Garbert's character, he says, if this happens, if X happens, this ship will go down in an hour. I paused it because that's when I messaged you and I said, I don't know if I can watch the rest of this <laughs> right, movie. Right, yeah, yeah. There was an hour and, and 15 minutes left. Right, and I was like, I'm, perfectly timed. I'm like, I'm going to watch this ship sink for an hour. And I unpaused it because I, I forced myself through it, but I was a baby the entire time. But they they don't shy away from like any aspect of it. And they take their time. And I feel like a lot of newer disaster movies or any like newer tragedies, something bad happens to a tertiary character. And it's like, it happens and then you cut and then you don't address it and then it's over. But this one is slow. 
and you have to watch. It makes you feel like complicit to all of the bad things that are happening on the ship, which makes you feel worse while you're watching. It does such a good job of... I don't know, the way it chooses who to bounce to in the moment, because the through line is Rose trying to save Jack. And it's nice mm-hmm. to have a through line. It's nice to have, like, as we're going from place to place, right, we can just, whenever we need to flip back to Rose and Jack and see what they're up to, in between all these other things that we're doing, the film has a really good way of, because the ship is sinking at a slow pace, because like, they showed us at the beginning of the film, we got to see on the computer that it starts slow at first, and then it gets faster, and then it breaks in half, and then it gets sucked down. So we already yeah. know how it's going to sink. But at every point, there is somebody who already knows what's going to happen. And like from point one, like even though most of the ship is still afloat, from 10 seconds in, the boiler rooms are flooded. So we're bouncing yeah. from place to place. Like the disaster is happening slowly, but we're always with the people who in the moment are having the worst of it, which I think is a really smart choice, right? Because for 90% of the people on the ship when it first hits the iceberg, nothing's wrong yet. They don't even realize, they felt the shudder, like nothing's, they're fine. So we immediately jump to the boiler room where they've had to, where they shut the watertight doors. And it's like, like, you either get through the watertight door or you do not, and you're stuck, right? And there's no warning. They just start shutting them from the top, and, like, some of those guys don't make it. So as we're going through, the ship is sinking slowly, but we're always at the next set of people that are in immediate crisis because it doesn't happen mm-hmm. to everyone in a uniform timeline. It's such a smart decision to keep you just yeah. at full, like, we don't, as the audience, we don't sink slowly with it. The boat is sinking slowly, but we're at full speed with the disaster from from the second that Rose and Jack are kind of done explaining in the room and Jack gets arrested. We're just at full speed with the disaster and whoever it's happening yeah. to in that moment. Yeah, and I think it's really deliberate in that, like, obviously we have the dramatic irony, like, we know the ship is going down. We know a bunch of people are going to die. And we know exactly how it happens. So when we see all of like the dumb shit going on on the top level, whenever they cut to it, it makes you angry and that makes you more sad. And it just kind of keeps compounding until the very end where you just feel like kind of hopeless. Yeah. Have you seen the show Chernobyl, the miniseries? I have not because I try to avoid feeling really sad all the time. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Chernobyl will not make you feel sad the same way Titanic does. Like it is, mm. it is sad, but it's more, it's more divorced from. I, I've watched it a bunch, and I've never felt sad. I felt more like annoyed or frustrated or like. But what I what what is relevant to Titanic? I would watch it. It's one of the best miniseries of all times. If you like check IMDb, yeah. it's one of the highest rated things ever created on there. It is very good. And what Craig Mazin, when he wrote Chernobyl, um, what I think he stole from the Titanic, and what the Titanic did, really really well is when you go into Chernobyl and when you go into Titanic, you know what happens, roughly, before you even watch the movie. Now, in Titanic, they kind of double down where they show you at the beginning what's going to happen, but before you even watch the movie, like, most people are familiar, oh, Titanic, that's the boat that hit the iceberg and sank, right? Or Chernobyl, Mm -hmm. that's the radioactive power plant that exploded, right? So you Mm -hmm. go in with your knowledge, and what both of these do really well is it plays on that, and so we know the boat's going to sink. We know because we've heard about it before we watched the movie. We doubled down because we've seen how it's going to happen in the first 20 minutes. But now when we're in it, there's just these quick little shots, these quick little moments where somebody could have made a better choice. 
And at any one of those points, that individual better choice would have fixed the whole problem or at least avoided this disaster. So you just get a little snippet. Like here are the lifeboats. There's not enough of them because it doesn't look good to have enough of them. And then it just moves on. Like you just get that and you're like, and you're just like, oh, right? And so it's like, and then there's a little iceberg warning. And then the guy's like, ah, speed yeah. up, who cares? You know what I mean? And it's like, like any one of those choices could have fixed it. And so by the time you get to the disaster, you have this built up resentment of all these little choices. And it's the exact it's same in Chernobyl. Um, in Chernobyl, the show opens. I won't spoil the plot, but if you don't know about the- <laughs> Oh, does the, does the reactor explode? <laughs> the reactor explodes. So the, the show opens with the reactor explosion. It doesn't make you wait for it. So it opens with the reactor explosion and then kind of tells you what happened from there. Um, so it's a little bit reversed, but at every moment when you're watching, you're like, that would have fixed it. That would have fixed it. That would have fixed it. If any one of those people had made a, a better choice, we could have avoided the disaster. So that built up resentment just is like pent up. That, like as you're, as you're watching the fun part of the film, they're giving you all these little moments to really, oh, so angry. Yeah. So like you have this pent up anger by the time the boat hits the iceberg that any one of these assholes could have not been a prick and the whole thing would have been avoided and i also like the naivety of some people you can't sink the titanic and the guy's like motherfucker i made this thing out of iron this thing will sink so quick like what are you talking about you can't sink the titanic like, i built it it's sinkable man come on i disagree that that's naivety i think that's hubris hubris sure sure I, i'm gonna read I, it as naivety i believe like i don't know like when you're one of the things i've heard on a podcast before is like how safe you feel in a skyscraper just big it just feels stable if you if you told me there's no way that like this building if i was in a big building and you just told me there's no way this would fall down and, like in my head i know that but I'd be like, yeah it feels solid like i just i i can imagine being on a i can imagine being on like titanic with li like limited knowledge of how boats work and being like yeah this thing is unsinkable like it can ram through a fucking iceberg mm, i can tell that you are not an anxious person no, not not particularly. Have you, have you ever been to the CN Tower in Toronto? Yeah, I remember uh, when it was closed because of COVID when I came over. Oh yeah, okay. So, right, so I haven't been in it. I've been at the top of the Space Needle though, which is not so when you quite as high. That's in Seattle, right? Yeah, it's in Seattle. Yeah. So when you go up to like the top area of the CN Tower, there's an area where the floor is glass. Oh, I love that. And it's real thick and the danger of you jump at like falling through is zero because they test that every year that shit like it, i think they tell you like three elephants could jump on that glass right and it wouldn't break uh that's the level of testing they've done but still i remember going there uh when we were all young and my older brother he looked me dead in the eye and he walked onto the glass floor and he started jumping <laughs> and yeah I was convinced that he was going to die. So like tall buildings, boats that can sink. Um, yeah. I've never felt like completely safe on them. So someone was like, oh, I could hit an iceberg and not sink. I'm like, just don't hit the fucking iceberg. Just that, move. That, you've got the right idea. You shouldn't be hitting the iceberg. What I'm trying <laughs> to say though is like, I can imagine a type of person that's just like, I'm in a big fucking yeah. boat. This doesn't feel sinkable. Like, what is going to yeah. sink this thing? You know what I mean? Because, yeah. like, no, not everyone has an ice warning. Like, just, the, just a couple of people do. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I think if I was on Titanic and I didn't know how boats work, and you asked me, like, is this ship going to sink between here? I'm like, what, what the fuck is going to sink it? 
Like if Zeus chucks a light not lightning bolt at it, sure. Why not? But like other than that, like it's just it's just a boat. It feels solid. It's floating right now. It's moving real fast. I said it was moving at like twenty something knots. That's impressive. I drive boats for work all the time. And twenty knots is a twenty knots is a good speed for a boat that big. I don't know what cruise ships yeah. boat are at now. That's that's I don't, a decent I don't speed. Know. I'm also scared of cruise ships. Really? Oh man. Well, like I've been on them. I enjoy cruises, but then I look over the edge and I see like the vast expanse of the ocean. And then the the last the the last phobia kicks in. I'm like, if I fall in, the shark's gonna get me. So, uh so there's more of a fear of sharks than the ocean. Well, like anything under the water in general but uh um, do you have that feeling with lakes too or just salt water kind of lakes but this is this is a tangent um when That's we okay. would go swimming when we were when we were kids the same older brother who would like jump up and down on the glass floor um he would get behind you and he'd swim underwater so you couldn't see him or know that he was underwater and then he would grab your ankles Ah, classic. And, that's, and, and a, that's, that's a sibling prank. That's an absolute classic sibling and prank. Yank. And so like he's older, he's bigger. So if he pulls you, you go. Yeah. So you go underwater and then be like, aha, what a fun joke. And now like I love swimming in the lake, but now if seaweed touches my leg, I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm out, I'm fucking out. So <laughs> that's fully a childhood trauma that I can't. That I can't escape. I think but, what we're um, learning here is that you and I have very different fears in life. Yes. Like, give me the CN Tower. <laughs> not I'll jump on that glass all day. No worries. Put me on a cruise ship. Sw- put, throw me in the ocean. I'll swim. It's fine. But yeah, no, I, we do not have the same fear set at all. <laughs> no, but like if if I heard that there was a risk of hitting the iceberg, I'm like, just go further around. But that's where I think the hubris comes in, though. Because it's one, I'm in this giant ship, like, I am the god of science, we are the pinnacle of mankind, nothing can stop me, or I don't know what could stop me, why don't we push it? Activate all the engines, go faster. It's ridiculous, that's what I'm saying, like, you build in that resentment, because you already know it's gonna crash. And so, like, that choice just seems so fucking foolish in hindsight, when you know it's going to hit the iceberg, that if it was... And, the, like, there's so many levels to the tragedy, too, because not only do you have all these dumb yeah. decisions compounding, right? Like, if you had just hit the iceberg head-on, you would have been totally fine. It was, like, in trying to avoid the iceberg, you made it worse, right? Like, if you had just hit the iceberg... Like, because they're the, by the time they were going at the iceberg, they'd slowed down quite a bit. The reverse engines hadn't, like, reversed the boat, but they, they mm. were slowing down to some degree, Right. And like the way that boat is built is like the front four compartments can all have, they did explain this in the movie, can all have water in them. It's if you get into the fifth, then that's a problem. Right. So if you just, if you just allowed yourself to hit the iceberg, it would have been a huge emergency. Right. But it would not have been the same level of problem. Right. In, in those good people trying to do a good thing in avoiding, because all the people trying to avoid the iceberg had nothing to do with these dumb decisions. They are just on duty that night trying to avoid it. Right. And in doing that, they accidentally made the problem worse, which just adds to the whole dragging along the side was the worst possible way to hit the iceberg, too. So, yeah, just it's just that every moment just like puts another knife in your heart and you're just like, oh, fuck, like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah, I just I just 
the one thing that I wish were different, I wish they had seen the iceberg earlier. And maybe that's just a misunderstanding of scale. But it seemed like they saw the iceberg when they were maybe a kilometer away from it. And I feel like an iceberg that big on the ocean, you'd be able to see from a lot further. I don't think so. I I drive boats for work and I drive them at night quite often. And like, if I don't have my radar on, you can't see, you don't even know which direction you're going. Like it's pitch black. It's not, and there's no light to reflect off like how they would see the iceberg because the iceberg in at night is like not white. It's like a different shade of black, right? Like what makes it white, yeah. what makes it white is the light hitting it, but there's no light it's in the light. middle of the ocean. And so yeah. up until the, the light of the boat or your eyes being close enough and adjusted to the dark, I think, I think it tracked. I, I don't drive boats at night in the middle of the Atlantic, but I drive them at night in a place that's pitch black. And like, if you, if I don't have my radar on, so like the compass tells me which direction I'm going, but if I don't have the yeah. radar on, like you cannot see more yeah. than a foot. And, and, and crucially my boat has lights on it. So I have lights pointing in front of me and you still can't see anything. Mm. Like, I, I think, I think it tracks when they notice the iceberg. Cause it looks so huge okay. and you're kind of like, how did you not see that? But the way yeah. things kind of appear at night when you're driving a boat. I think that tracks for me. It didn't bother me, and it's not the same. Like I don't drive big cruise ships in the Atlantic, but it tracks for me. It didn't feel. Okay. Maybe I'll revise that just to say I would have liked to see the moment that it appeared, because I feel like we just they just they look at Jack and Rose kissing and then they look forward. And there's a giant. Uh, right, iceberg. you would have liked to see a little more realizing on their face, like so... oh, that's an iceberg. Yeah, because like with the amount of lights on the ship, so maybe you'd be able to see a kilometer ahead just with the amount of like light pollution they're putting out. Right. I would have liked to have seen like them slowly, like the light kind of panning up on the iceberg as they got closer. So more as a filmmaking choice, the choice to have them look at Jack and Rose and see the giant iceberg was less appealing to you. Yeah. Than the choice because then, of them because to then like the see the. Becomes, if they weren't peeping toms, could they have saved the entire ship? And I don't think that's what they meant. By I don't that think so choice. either. I don't think you're meant to understand that they did a bad job. I think you're meant no. to understand that they did a perfect job. Like they saw the yeah. iceberg, they rang the bell. But it does kind of seem that way because they were distracted and they uh, looked yes. up and like, "Oh, you can smell ice." But it's like that was pretty funny. I was like, I was, yeah. very, I was very, I was very thankful for that moment of levity. Right yeah. before the disaster. That was really funny. Yeah. You can smell ice, eh? And it hits them. That's good. I like that. Yeah. But I think it, it, that, I think the one, that would be the one change if they just showed like the light slowly panning up on the iceberg to show how imminent it was and how little warning they had. Right. All right. Well, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a cruise ship captain, which is a long <laughs> shot, feel free to let us know what your predicted visibility i guess you just have radar now you would just like yeah. you would just have the radar ping the iceberg have like google maps <laughs> fucking rachel <laughs> come on okay i'm starting to think you don't drive boats often you can't google maps the ocean what, what? you google earth has satellites everywhere I don't know. I would, I'm just. That is not how. That is not how navigating in the ocean works. I would assume like a giant cruise ship line, like. They have something kind of like Google Maps. Would have would have like a satellite view of all the routes they're gonna take. Google Maps is a shorthand. I would assume they would have a satellite (laughs) view of everywhere they were going. All right. (laughs) 
I imagine what I imagine I imagine this photo of you driving a giant cruise ship, but you have like a thing, kind of how you clip your phone into the thing, and there's just like a red iceberg on your route, and you're just like, shit, better go around. Kind of like when it says like there's traffic, there's just, a, just re a red like, line with an iceberg. Just like Florida to Dominican Republic water. Right. I'll get there. Yeah. Okay. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be okay, nice, I don't need the boat captains <laughs> to let me know about how the navigation works. I got you. <laughs> I understand that it's not Google Maps. But what I do need to know is like visibility on uh, Edwardian era cruise liners in relation to icebergs, in relation to the middle of the night in the Atlantic Ocean, in relation yeah. to being the lookout on the Titanic. And I need Which that. Just, yeah. And I need that to Stat. be done and sent in an email so that we can understand. <laughs> how that works okay let's let's work we'll come back to the disaster we still got at least 40 minutes this is great we're making such good time rachel we're killing it this is going so much quicker than hot d did holy smokes okay there's more to discuss um let's talk i want to talk a little bit more about this first scene this is just a personal favorite we're going to talk about our favorite scenes later but this first scene mm -hmm. between jack and rose because there's the mental health aspect of it with the suicide and the jumping off and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But there's just the pure charisma of it, of just Leo yeah. walking up. And we've talked a lot about Rose, so I'm talking about Jack just for a little bit here. Just the wherewithal to enter into this conversation, because he just kind of came out of that conversation with the boys, and the boys looked up at Rose, and they're, they're all like, fuck you, Jack, you're never getting with Rose. And then Jack proceeds to abandon all his friends for the rest of the journey to hang out with Rose, so... yeah sucks to be them but jack's just walking up and being so casual about it he doesn't have a care in the world he's like look rose i don't know you but i can see it in your face you're not gonna jump but if you do jump then i've got to jump in after you because i'm a gentleman or whatever he says like pretty much he's like because i'm a gentleman and i would I'm feel involved now and i i'm involved now and i would feel compelled to save you and then we'd both be in the ocean and that would suck Right, and you don't want me to be in the ocean with you. Like, if you're gonna jump, you kind of just want it to be you, but you don't want anyone to jump in after. It's just like the charisma there to kind of know, not only know, because I think you can only take that with a, with approach with someone you know isn't actually gonna do it. And the way he kind of comes up and he's just like, look, Rose, you know you're not gonna do it. I know you're not gonna do it. But on the off chance you do, I'm here now and I'm involved. So I feel compelled to try and stop you. But then if you do jump in, I feel compelled to try and save you. And then I'm going to die too. And that kind of sucks. And I was like, man, killing it. That's an absolutely fun approach to this situation that I wouldn't have thought of. And it's not really appropriate, I don't think. Like, I don't think if I ran into this situation in real life, my first approach would be like, yo, homie, you don't want to do this because then I'm going to be in the ocean. Like, that's not like it doesn't feel like a really good approach. But just it works so well for the film. Yeah, and I think the the thing that broke my heart about it is like, do you know how cold this water is? Feels like a thousand knives stabbing into you. Yeah, and so like they're foreshadowing. It really foreshadows how they're going to be in the ocean at the end, right? Yeah. But that I that is very effective. But I kind of skip over that for how I, much fun I had in that scene. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's real good foreshadowing for for Jack's but, knowledge of how this works which I thought was impressive. Like you believe that in a disaster, he's a good fact. He's a good catch to have in a disaster. If you're going to be, yeah. if you're going to be in love with anyone accidentally during the sinking of a boat, you want Jack. Cause he knows how the boat works. Cause he knows later, like when the boat collapses in, that's going to pull you under before you come up. Like he understands the physics of the whole thing, which 
Mm-hmm. I don't know how he knows all that, but that's fine. But he understands how hypothermia works. Very modern view of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think he takes the right, the right approach to get Rose off the railing. Like, I think, I don't know, maybe he's lived a dark life. You know, obviously he's been through some hardships. Maybe he's seen people in that state before. I personally have watched a lot of Law and Order SVU. So wait, wait, can, we, can we pause there for a sec is that no, no. is that because well, wait okay i just never th- i just never thought of a lawyer watching lawyer shows and going this is fun to watch i always imagined it's you it's a police show it's different uh, okay because <laughs> every time i hear a doctor that's watched Grey's anatomy they're like i fucking hate this i can't watch this this is awful everything about this is wrong so i just assumed lawyers wouldn't watch okay law and order is not a, a lawyer show that makes so, sense the, the, don't get me wrong the legal scenes in law and order drive me insane but I started watching SVU before I went to law school, so I'm locked in. In any case, I watched a lot of that, and the absolute wrong thing to do when you find someone in that situation is run up to them and make them feel pressured, because you're going to make them feel like they want to make a quick, de- quick decision, and you never want to find out what that coin flip is. Fair enough. So, you- but is the right approach also to be like, I know you're not going to do this, and now you have to think about me. Because now I'm here and I'm involved and that's not, I don't know. I think it works for the movie. I wasn't sure if it worked in real life. Yeah, I think I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to say like what absolutely 100% is the right thing to do. But I think in Rose's case, it works because she feels responsible for something. Like she just wants to like be, I don't know. She wants to be something, and in that more moment, she becomes important to Jack, because if she jumps, he jumps. And he, he grounds her in that way. Fair and enough. So she's kind of reluctant, but I, I think she comes back over the railing because she's not willing to have that weight with her. All right, can we talk? This is the same sequence. I want to talk about my first problem with Rose. This is problem okay. number one I have with Rose. Most of my Rose issues have been vindicated by this okay. recent rewatching, but this one has remained... So Jack does his charismatic, sexy saving of Rose, and I loved it, and everything's great. And she comes over the rail, and they do the slipping and the pulling, and ah, save me, and that's also really sexy and romantic. And then they fall on top of each other, and then all the dudes who heard the screaming come up, and it is established in the film that like at least 10 minutes or so passes before Cal and crew get there. Um, I'm sorry, Rose. This guy just saved your life in your head twice in my head one and a half times and you're just gonna sit there and allow everyone to think that he was assaulting you until the last possible minute until your asshole boyfriend comes up you are perfectly fine just letting jack get thrown under the bus for this thing right because it's only when cal shows up that she's like oh shit cal will kill him or something i should probably Right, like he's in handcuffs by the time Rose goes, oh, hey, wait a second, entire misunderstanding. Uh, he actually saved my life. Can we? I just want to put that on the record. The rest of the time, and Jack, Jack does such a good job this whole film of never, of like covering for Rose and never revealing anything about Rose that she wouldn't want revealed. Very gentlemanly of him. But if I was Jack in that situation from second five, I'd be like, whoa, 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 come on. No, 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 no. You've got this all wrong. I swear to God, I was saving her life. Like Jack's restraint was a little bit unbelievable to me. Like he was just going to allow himself to get arrested for this. No, 
But Rose not doing anything until the last possible second until she like has him in handcuffs and her asshole boyfriend fiance has come to like kill him. That was like, okay, okay, Rose. We need to be a little quicker. I understand you just went through some shit, but Jack just saved your life twice and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, he just gave you two giant solids. If you could just help him out a little bit, that would be great. A little bit. I was gonna say, yeah, she's probably a little bit in shock. She almost won, tried to straight up unalive herself and then she accidentally slipped so definitely in shock um you still gotta help you can be in shock after you gotta help jack out jack also jack also like that's a lot of trauma for jack too the not the first part but the accidental mm -hmm. slipping part right i'm sure jack Mm -hmm. the whole time thought she might actually actually like fall into the ocean that was real that wasn't his super Mm -hmm. sexy i don't know it's just it just it just bugs me every time like rose this is not you waited too long to help your buddy because when she when she helps him, she doesn't look like she's been in shock at all. She she mm. looks like she's fine now. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, Jack saved me. I was leaning over and looking at the uh, like she she doesn't know what she was looking at, which was really funny, too. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't buy it. I think Rose a little bit mean to Jack there. Just a little bit, just a little bit mean. I think on the balance of what we're supposed to know about Rose, it makes sense. I think, you know, like we, we put a lot of like pretty words towards her character arc, but like she is spoiled. She doesn't get everything she wants. She doesn't trust people from a lower socioeconomic class. Here is a poor man come to save her questionable motives. She doesn't know him. Questionable motives? He just saved her twice. He doesn't know him. She doesn't but know. That's if not he, what this is about, he, Rachel. What's about it's like the, the, the No, but it is because like she doesn't know. Like, is he gonna turn around and be like, I saved your life? I'm gonna tell everyone that you tried to kill yourself. This which is, is incredibly shameful in the 1910s. That's, that's what shameful. I'm saying. And she could get ahead of it all by just saying, yo, misunderstanding. I Jack, help me up. I fell over. Jack, help me up. She doesn't know he's not going to like turn around and blackmail her. Like she doesn't know any of this. And then she's also supposed to be at this point kind of spoiled and self-centered and really not confident. She was prepared to like kill herself before she said, I don't want to marry Cal. That's I'm the aware, level yeah. of passivity yeah. we're looking at. So I don't think it's inconsistent with where she is in the movie to have it be until Cal's like, I'm going to kill this guy that touched my fiance. She's like, no, no. Oh, oh my God. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't kill him. Like maybe you see that. I did make that up. I want to be clear. Cal did not show up with like a gun to shoot him. I'm just, I'm exaggerating that bit of it, but it's not until Cal shows up that she snaps out of it and is like, Whoa, hold up. Jack actually saved my life. Yeah. But you see it. Like you see moments of it. Like later in the movie, she's still fighting through it. Like when Jack is found with the necklace in his pocket. She has that's another that one that, that, that that's not a mark against Rose, but I found that pretty fun too. That she's like, "How did you yeah. know I didn't steal it?" She's like, "I just knew you wouldn't have done it." I'm like, "That's actually romantic as hell." Yeah, it, that but was it, nice. It, I like. She that. has like a whole lifetime of prejudice fighting against her. Immediately saying he would never do that, and then you know the adrenaline of the moment dies down, and she's like, "Of course he would never." I'm do just that. not. I agree with what you're saying. I'm just not attaching its relevance to the situation. Like regardless, you don't have to know anything about Jack. What the, what factually happened to you in this situation is like you were over the railing. Jack came and did his sexy whatever, questionable motives or not. He convinced you not to come over the rail. Then you accidentally slipped, and he's the only reason you didn't fall and become an ice cube, right? And he pulled you over, 
And then during this time, you were screaming. So mm -hmm. he pulls you over top, and he's on top of you. He's only on top of you for like half a second. This is not. There's not enough time in this to be like, whoa, is he actually like going to assault me right now? That's not what's happening. It's not. It's not like he holds it there for a second and like contemplates. That's none of that. It's just like within half a second, right? And then those guys come and he gets off. And then and that, that's what I'm saying. I think I think if you're Rose, you don't need to know a lot about the guy. There wasn't enough time there for her to be like, or for Jack to have even thought about any ulterior anything. I think I think Rose just needs to be like, holy shit! I he look, I I slipped. I was looking over at the things. This guy, even if they don't believe her, even if they don't believe her and they still handcuff him and it's not until Cal comes that someone believes her. It just was like a little bit hard to believe that she was just going to let him get done in for this assault that didn't happen until Cal showed up and she realized that that was a bad situation. So would we, would we appreciate how confident she becomes at the end of the movie if she didn't start out so passive? No, but I'm thinking about this from an act. I'm not thinking about this as a story arc for her. I'm thinking about this like in the moment, Rachel. He's about to get done in for assaulting her on the deck of a boat, which he did not do. In fact, he did the opposite. He saved her life twice. She, well, she ultimately does the right thing. I know. It just took. 15 he doesn't get. He doesn't get like taken out back like an old dog. Like he. You're right. He's not like in the noose. You're right. She he's... stops it. Okay. okay. Just, we're we're just, gonna need we're gonna need people to email in. Just get gonna... there immediately, and and I think you can like hold it against her and say like you should have done it faster. But I think from what we're supposed to know about her at that point, she wasn't able to do so. All right, it's like our greens versus blacks debates. Yeah, we're, we're just agreeing <laughs> to disagree on this one. If you're listening to this, we need your emails on this specifically. I would really love to know. Are you team? Are you team Rose inevitably stopped it, but there's a bunch of good reasons before that for her not to have said anything about Jack's what actually happened. I think that's fair. Or good are reasons. you understandable reasons? Understandable reasons. Sure. Okay. I, I want to make sure I want to make sure your team is titled correctly. Are you team Rose eventually does the right thing? And the reason why she waits 15 minutes is backed up by a bunch of really understandable reasons. Is that fair? Or are you team? Are you team? Rose just got her life saved twice and shows no appreciation for that and is letting Jack get arrested until her asshole fiance comes and realizes this might end up really serious for him. And then she pipes up and does the bare minimum to get him off the hook. Actually, I will say in Rose's credit, once the situation is passed, I do believe it is Rose that's like 20 bucks for saving my life. Is that what is my that life is worth? worth? Yeah, she does. This is what I'm saying. She does not seem like someone in shock in that moment. Someone that's in shock. I've I've treated shock patients many times. I am well aware that those people aren't like, well, is my life worth 20 bucks to you, Cal? Is that it? So I'll give Rose the credit that once she does the right thing, she she starts a hot streak of good choices <laughs> for a long time. This is an isolated yeah. incident that I'm picking up here. <laughs> All right, I think we're really <laughs> focusing in on it. All right. While while we're talking about Rose, I'll get to my second thing. And the second thing, okay. I think you might change my mind on this. I think I might have changed. I, I think I might have went from this is fucking stupid to this makes a lot of sense. And I just don't. Okay. And I'm just not sure I like it. I want to talk a little bit about throwing the heart of the ocean into the ocean. I think okay. thematically, it makes perfect sense. She's kind of returning to the scene of the Titanic. And to her that 
symbolizes the relationship with Jack and in some ways kind of belongs to Jack at the bottom of the ocean. And so she's going to kind of chuck it on the wreck to gain the closure and to, to celebrate Jack in that way. And that was something that they shared with the painting and whatever. And I get it. That all makes sense to me. I think they just establish in the movie that that, that actual object is too valuable because it's a made up object, right? Like, it, or it's, it's a real object whose value is inflated in the movie. I can't remember which one. Right. And when you have an object worth that much money, I do find it hard. Like I get your closure and all that, but also like this is, you have grandkids and you could just sell it to a museum or something. Like you don't have to sell it to the bad guys on the boat. You could literally give it to anybody and you could set your whole family up for a lifetime with this money. Right. Like I just feel like throwing it like it is, it is nice for her on a personal level. And as a personal choice, I like it a lot. But as Rose being part of a society of other humans, throwing something that valuable to the bottom of the ocean when she could have used the value of that to either, like, to literally do anything, to, to, to give to any charity, to set up her family, mm -hmm. to do, like, if I was a great, 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 great grandson of Rose and someone told me, yeah, like, our great grandma had this object worth hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it's worth, and she threw it in the ocean because she <laughs> loved a dude for two and a half days on the Titanic. When you put it that way, I'm kind of like, oh, that was a little selfish, Rose. So I, I am struggling with it a little bit, but I'm not I'm not as fervent in my beliefs as I am with the Rose sequence from before. Mm, okay. This is I okay. You have to bring up your lawyerly answer to this because it's fucking nuts, Rachel. I, this is bonkers. What was your What was your objection to this? Why Why are you Why are you okay that she threw it in the ocean? What happens if she tries to sell it, Rachel? What was your reason for this? Okay. Well, it it's not like a huge deal, but if she it was did the first thing to... you wrote about it. I watched you write the notes. Don't <laughs> <laughs> expose. I watched but you write the notes. Did... But if she did try to sell it, that's insurance fraud. Fuck. Cal has already Cal insured that necklace and he thought he lost it and he made an insurance claim on the necklace and he got paid out for it in 1914. And she's just gonna show up and be like, JK motherfuckers, I've had it this whole time. That's fraud. I, is, I, it, part. is that how okay? I do need to be I, I do need to be enlightened here because I don't actually know how insurance fraud works. So Cal thinks he lost it and he makes an insurance claim that Rose knows about later, but we have no, like I couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Rose knows at the time he makes the claim that he made that claim. He, she knows by the time she tells the story, but I couldn't prove to a jury that she knows in the moment he makes the claim. Is it insurance? Like if you believe something is lost, it wasn't stolen. Like Rose didn't steal it, right? Like it was given to her by... Like the whole thing's an accident. It's like no one, I don't think anyone in this situation is actually committing. I know intentionality is not always a thing, but no one's like intentionally committing fraud here, right? It's not like Rose yeah. stole it, filed the claim for herself, got all the money, and then is trying to double dip by selling it. Cal thought realistically, because Cal doesn't see Rose, Cal thought Rose died and is at the bottom of the ocean or whatever mm -hmm. with the necklace. So Cal does the right thing and gets his insurance claim for the money. And then 80 something. Well, yeah, sorry. The, the right thing in heavy quotation marks. He's an asshole. <laughs> right. And so like, I just don't know that this buys is like, who's committing the fraud? It would be fraud if Cal then tried to sell it later. Or if you could prove that Rose knew about the claim. I don't know. I just don't know if you could prove this fraud. Yeah. 
realistically, I'm just trying to be pithy. Like, <laughs> I believe it would go through the same way that I believe that a necklace in a uh, peacoat pocket would stay in through a ship crash. Like, right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to suspend my disbelief a little bit. It makes me laugh to think that she could go to a pawn shop and try to sell it and then, like, freaking, like, Pepperidge Farm be like, ah, you could have sold this years ago. I... <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also think, like, what you were mentioning before, as a millennial who lives in an expensive city, it bothers me that she dropped a down payment for at least one tr- like downtown condo. Yeah, we have this in common. We, we live in the two most expensive cities in our country, so we're killing it. Yeah, mistake. <laughs> It makes, so it makes more sense for your job, though. For my job, it's really dumb. I can do my job in the <laughs> middle of a forest fucking anywhere. I'm like, oh, Vancouver. Your job, it makes perfect yeah. sense, at least. It's just where all the obnoxious people live. Yeah. <laughs> all right, what are your... What are your you, wrote, you wrote a pretty good defense of throwing this in the ocean. It, it, it moved me a little bit. What's yeah. your, why, do you, why are you cool with this? Okay, so just in, in terms of story, like kind of getting rid of all of my, like, Oh, I could have used that money. She's returning the necklace called the heart of the ocean to where her heart has been for the last 80 years. She's been carrying this weight with her for her entire lifetime. Even when she could have sold it, when she landed in New York and had nothing, she had nothing when she got there. Um, And she gets to come back to, where her life started because really you get the impression that she wasn't really living before she met jack and uh, she's able to kind of return to that place and get some closure so i think from a narrative perspective i think it makes a lot of sense and so i really appreciate it in that way all right so i'm going to bring you to another roast topic i'm just going to nail them all out this one i'm still struggling with a little bit and I will, I would just for the audience part, I love this movie and I have listened to other people podcast about this topic. And so for this, one, I really like to acknowledge when I'm plagiarizing a little bit, everything up until now has been purely my own opinion that I noticed watching the movie. This, I did not notice until someone on a podcast called the rewatchables pointed it out to me. And so I did not notice this on my own. This is someone else's thought that now that I've seen it yet, yeah, like when I watched it this week, this is the first time that I'd watched the movie since hearing this about the photos at the end. And then I, then I was like, oh, shit, okay. I might have some issues here. So Rose, Rose falls in love with Jack and then goes on to marry someone else and have uh, at, least, at least a child, right? And then, like, the grandchild is in the, is in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, never tells anyone about Jack, kind of keeps it at home. She's got another family to focus on, whatever. Is it a little weird for Rose? I don't want to accuse her of anything yet, but is it a little weird of Rose to show up? She brings all these photos, so she knows she's going to this ship, right? Is it a little weird for Rose to bring all of these photos of herself? But also, how are these photos taken? Because what's nice about the photos and what I noticed on my own is that they're all the things Jack, she's riding the horse properly, like Jack explained, she's standing next to a plane. I'm flying, Jack, which we still need to talk about. Right? They're all very nice photos that, that really wrap up the story. But the people on the rewatchables made a good point. Who the fuck's taking these photos? Like Rose's husband is out there being like, can we get one together? 
Like we're on family vacation to the airport and she's like, no, 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 I need this one by myself. This one, you actually can't see him, but my Jack is in the photo too. This is for this guy that I can't talk about at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, you don't understand why I need to stand next to this plane or why I need to ride this horse, <laughs> but it's important. And I just think it's a little weird. It's a little bit weird to have to like- Before she was married. I don't know. Really, is that provable? So, so is like her story. She gets off the Titanic. She she goes around the world, does all the things for Jack, and then just doesn't think about them in marriage. I don't know. I just I'm not trying to have an opinion here, but it's just it, once I, once someone pointed that out to me, and I was looking at the photos, I was like, yeah, this is a weird collection to just be in your traveling bag. It makes thematic sense, and it's good for the story. But I think it does yeah. defy logic a little bit that this would be her photo collection. Maybe this is just straight up stupid of me, but I hadn't realized that this was on the ship. I thought that I thought it was like back at her home. No, no, she brought the photos. Remember, because at the beginning they're sitting up, she's like, I need to bring my oh, photos well, everywhere. Well, well, then it makes more sense then. Because she's she's telling the story of her and Jack. So she would bring all these photos to be like, these are all the things I did that Jack told me to do and that I did. Yeah, no, I understand thematically that she's bringing the photos of the things Jack told her to do to the scene of the crime. I understand how this is making sense as a story. Okay. What I'm saying is that I'm just saying the process of having these photos captured and framed and just like, because where were they before that? There's just like, you go into, you go into Rose's house and there's just like photos of her next to a plane and on a horse, right? And you, yeah. she just can't explain them. Like, there's like, why do you have all these photos of just you? I don't know. I don't know. In 1915, when it's hard to take these photos, I have a hard time believing that this that this perfectly tracks. That's all I'm saying. Just, of all the things to take issue with, I absolutely that would have never occurred to it me. It didn't occur to me either. And then someone point, it's one of those things where once someone points it out, you can't not see it just a little bit. I did not. I, my opinion did not slide all the way to where their opinion was at, but it moved just enough that I found it slightly off putting to have that many photos of just you doing shit. That's a no, little. That doesn't bother me at all because the whole point is that by the end of the story, she's strong enough to do them by herself. Okay. She doesn't need help. But I disagree I, with the. I, I get it from the story. It's just like because this story, she says she's never told anyone else this. So I'm talking like from the other people, from everyone else in her life, oh. like from the point of view of every single other person in her life including her husband and her children and her granddaughter. It's just a bunch of photos of you. Like when I take photos now, and it's easier to take photos with a phone to be sure, but it's like you get your friends involved, you get your family involved, right? You find, you're not just hanging out. I don't know. It's just it's slightly off-putting to me, just a little bit. I will accept a little bit, but I don't buy it. Okay. We're just another we're <laughs> we're two of three having to just agree to disagree. Uh, let's talk yeah. about the the bow of the ship. Two iconic scenes there. We get the mm -hmm. I'm the King of the World, which is incredible. We get the sequel to I'm the King of the World called I'm Flying Jack. That's the sequel. <laughs> and then we get I, I don't know, I haven't watched enough movies recently to have this tier list off the top of my head. I might just go ahead and declare this the sexiest first kiss between two people ever like the the everything about it the way like jack is behind rose so rose has to like crane her neck a little bit and her hand wraps around his neck it's like perfect for everyone's gaze right there's a lot when house of the dragon did their kissing scenes there's a lot of like 
like whatever online about all the neck work they were doing and how it was like perfectly captured to the female gaze and i just wasn't understanding it right but this Mm -hmm. one i was like i don't know what kind of gaze they're trying to capture but they've got it 1500 percent. like this might be the sexiest first kiss between two characters in film in tv you get more time to build it up which i don't think is fair yeah but in film in like a in a three-hour film I can't think of anyone where I was like, that is just, if you're going to get a first kiss with anyone, that's how, that's the one you want. Yeah. And I think like the, the setting and the cinematography obviously help. Like it's beautiful. You, the sunset. You can have someone hug you from behind and kiss you whenever. And it's never going to be as romantic or as sexy as standing on the bow of the world's biggest ship while the sun sets around you. And no one else is there watching this beautiful and sunset too. Magically. <laughs> magically. No everyone else, else is gone. They're busy. It's dinner time. Yeah, and then just the, I don't know, like, sometimes taking a risk feels pretty sexy. So you're just, like, out there, hands out. You look like <laughs> the, what's the name of the statue? The Cristo Redemptor? Cristo Redentor? Yes, that yeah. one. You look like that with your arms yeah. out and not holding on to anything. You could fall, you could die, but oh, instead you're- The railing step too. The callback at the end yeah. when she throws the heart of the ocean and she takes the one step onto the railing to mimic Jack being like, you gotta step on, I got you, but you gotta step on the railing. Just fucking perfect. So I also like that it was kind of reclaiming the way that she tried to um, climb over the rails. Yeah, earlier. absolutely. Pretty, like, pretty this- quick too. Again, like the movie doesn't have time yeah. to like, and the disaster happens within, uh, they only they only even know each other for 48 hours. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, they don't have time, but yeah, they're kind of going back to where they met and being like, Hey, like the last time we were on this rail, some shit was going to happen, but now we're just going to have a good now time. Some sh- now some shit's going to happen. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> right. It's just the way you say it. There's some shit going on last time, but now there's some shit going on. Yeah. <laughs> right. What did you make of the, um, actually let's talk. Do you have anything else about the two bow of the ship? Beautiful. I like the callbacks. I like what it does for their romance. I think it's one of the best first kiss scenes in in movies. Yeah, like okay, so I I misnamed this one, but this one is is like my my favorite scene in the movie. I also like an undying passion for Celine Dion. So when the the music comes in, and your like your heart just swells because the way the music is so big and so open, and they're they're like. I keep saying this on like the bow of the ship, they can see the entire world in front of them, and it seems so hopeful and so beautiful. It's kind of like your last moment of peace. The last good day. Have you heard about that theory? Last, Have you read The yeah, Fault in Our last, Stars? Yeah, the last good day. Last it's not John day. Green didn't invent it, but it's in the no. Fault in Our Stars. I actually this might be a side conversation. I, as an experiment, like pinpointed the last kind of good day before COVID. Because the point of the last good day is that you don't know that it's the last good day. You're just having a great time, right? And so I went and I I find it's a really interesting kind of therapeutic exercise. Like when something bad happens, like if you lose your job or you go through a breakup or whatever, I actually found it quite helpful to go like before COVID and find the last good day and kind of recall what I was doing that day and how hopeful it felt and how much fun I was having and how I could have never seen a pandemic on the horizon. Like there's no cases of COVID anywhere, right? Cause my last good day was in November and this didn't put off till March, right? And so like, yeah. I went through like, what was the last time where I just had a great day uninhabited by any, like, uninhibited by anything else. And it was just like, everything felt 
like the world was mine. I don't know. I found it very therapeutic. And so yeah, this is very much, I mean, they only know each other for two days. So their options for last good day are numbered. They, they can choose one or two, but it is a fun exercise. And I think that this is their last good, maybe their last good moment. Their last good, maybe car sex. That's where yeah, I like a few good moments in the car. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the car. I want to actually, the first thing I want to say about the car is that I want to talk about I just want to talk seriously for a second about like how nudity is used in these films to tell a story, because I think there's yeah. a lot of, I think uh, these kind of Hollywood productions and TV shows have gone a long way with like intimacy coordinators and those types of things. And there's a real discussion right now in the industry about nudity or not, or like, should we, should we make more roles have no nudity at all to open up to more actors who might be uncomfortable with it? What are some ways we can include nudity with body doubles or whatever? You know what I mean? So we're mm -hmm. like, we're in the middle of this big conversation about it. And I think what gets missed in a lot of the conversation is the very specific spaces where nudity can be used to tell the story, right? It's why it's yeah. such a big part of paintings. Like in the art world, nudity is a huge way that you are tell you are saying something about something else. And that mm -hmm. is the medium by which you're using to do that. A lot of like Game of Thrones, if you rewatch Game of Thrones, that's just like boobs out to half them out. That's disgusting. Yeah. And whatever, you know what I mean? And so what I like about this film is I'll, I'll take it this does end up at the car, but it starts with the the scene in the, the painting drawing scene, the drawing scene. Um, yeah. What the nudity tells us about Rose is that she's almost like, it is very much a metaphor for like breaking out of this cage. Like taking that robe off is like the moment that she like fully embraces being out of the cage. And it shows us that she's confident. Like she's really confident. She goes up with the paying line and that tells you something about Rose as a character right that she is this is what she wants this is what she's going to get and her nudity tells us something about her comfortability her trust in jag how much she trusts this guy that she just met like it really tells us a lot without using the words i trust you jack don't worry like it's a very elegant way of getting us into rose's head and putting that on the screen right i'll give some other examples house yeah. of the dragon recently was a great example of we needed rainier like young rainier to have that kind of sexy time with Kristen Cole, which was a whole night. We needed that to understand something about the character, but that didn't need her nudity. We didn't need to see Millie Alcock yeah. naked to do that. So they fixed that problem with mm -hmm. the cool, clever shots of like the things and the arms in the way and whatever, which is super elegant for that. We didn't need it for that mm -hmm. bit of storytelling. And how this relates to Titanic is I think, I think Kate Winslet having to do the nude scene with the drawing really adds to the story. It doesn't feel gratuitous, even the way they frame it. Like, it's not like there's these really lingering shots of the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like she's doing a naked portrait, so she's naked. And that makes sense. It tells us something about the character, but they don't linger on it for too long. It's not gratuitous. And then when they get to the car, I don't need to see her naked to understand that they just had a great time. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I just don't need that. And I'm so happy they didn't do that because that scene could have so easily been just like you pan into the car and they're both naked and Leo's ass is out and Kate's boobs are out again. Like that's just too much. That's not the, it's not adding to the story. If that makes sense. The, the places where there's other examples too. Like I just watched Babylon and like yeah. the way nudity is used in Babylon, I think is really clever because it's telling you something about the environment. Like they're kind of just walking into a giant Hollywood orgy kind of party but it tells you something about the environment. If everyone had all their clothes on, you'd be like, this is such a weird party. 
Like every single person here is having sex with their clothes on. That just takes you out of the moment. So they have enough yeah. of the background artists nude to like make you understand what kind of party this is. And so that's a really elegant use of it. So I just wanted to call out James Cameron here in 1997 for, I think, really having a keen eye for when nudity and vulnerability can help you tell the story and when to pull back and not put people in uncomfortable situations when it's not necessary for your story. So I just wanted to point that out because yeah. I noticed it this time around and thought it felt really modern for a movie that was released when I was two. Yeah, and I think what I liked, you know, obviously beyond all of that, because I do really appreciate a more tasteful use of nudity when you're making a film as opposed to be like, uh, tits out for the boys because that was very much the attitude in Game of Thrones and it really But especially in 1997. Of- that's what that's what impressed me is it felt modern to me when I watched it this time. But what I enjoyed even more on a rewatch is that the only times that we actually see Kate Winslet like nude in the film is when older Rose is choosing to tell the the staff members about it. Right. She tells them about the nude drawing. And then she denies that they had sex. She doesn't tell them that she had sex with him. Right. She keeps that to herself. And so we, as the party, listening to her story, we are also, we are not party. We're not, we don't get to see any of that because that's something that she keeps to herself. And I just think narratively, I liked how that worked. I thought it was excellent. Um, I thought that whole sequence, it it just, it stuck out like a sore thumb in the best way where I was like, this is just such a tasteful way to approach these scenes. Cause like her Rose's appreciation of the new drawing sucks her into the story. That's what she notices on TV. She sees it on TV and goes, Holy shit. I look great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Holy. I used to be a snack. Oh my God. Like she loves it. Yeah. You're right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, with two C's, she's in, she's in, she's into it, and so yeah, no, yeah. I just it felt very modern, it felt very tasteful. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to imply, I've not, I'm not a, a James Cameron expert. Maybe he's been an asshole with other things in other movies and been like mm-hmm. boobs out for Du Bois or whatever. But in this film, <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge that while we're in a modern conversation about how to approach this, Titanic feels like a great example that you can watch to understand when it adds to your story and when you don't need it. Yeah. And when it's gratuitous and when it's not and all those types of things. So I was like, I'll just, I'm just going to clarify the elephant in the room. It's still sexy as shit. It's very hot. It's so hot. It's okay. Like, like if you're, if the point of what you're trying to tell is they have two very confident people, like confident in their bodies and that are attracted to each other, because there are, there are ways that there are, there's other ways where it goes a little wrong, where it's like, sometimes I'm watching a movie between two people and they're having sex the entire movie and they keep their all their clothes on every time and i'm like this is weird when you lose it yeah, yeah like this isn't quite yeah so it works the other way too like it can take away from your story i just i think i think in the arguments yeah. about it people have lost that it is it is a storytelling device you're using it as part of a narrative and yeah and because it it's very uncomfortable for actors it's something you need to take very seriously. And I just felt Titanic. I don't know anything about the behind the scenes, but it felt when I was watching it, like they were really intentional and took it quite seriously, which I yeah. just appreciated. I do want to talk oh, about I the really... car sex a little bit though. Just a little bit. Kind of a brief tangent. Yeah. 
please let me know like if anyone if you're listening if you agree with me my pet peeve and modern sex scenes is where the sex scene ends and the man is lying with the blanket over his chest and the woman has it down to her waist but she's still wearing her bra no just give the actress a strapless bra and have everyone have the blanket up to your chest then i would (laughs) believe you what's happening i hate that all right Sorry. No, you're Sorry. all good. You're, you're all good. We're, I, I, we're we're farming content. We're farming emails and engagement, <laughs> Rachel. You're killing. It. You have your your finger on the pulse of what the people want to email about. <laughs> Bros and sex scenes. Legit, I bet you, because everyone has feelings about sex scenes. Everyone has like Ugh. strong feelings of. Anyways, cool. Send your emails in. I'm excited to read them. I want to talk about the car sex a little bit. It is established that it's freezing cold down there. There's no heat in the thing. It's un- like that compartment where the car is is under the water lying and it's freezing cold right mm-hmm. and you can like see the breath coming out the handprint goes on the window it's like foggy because it's so cold right they are drenched in sweat what were they doing that was holy they must have had a great time i noticed how sweaty everyone was for how cold it was and that must have been just a a, a whole experience whole marathon it was also a very small box it's a very small like, box. Yeah, yeah, I, like, I agree with that. It just, it really felt like, oh, those two people are very warm for how cold this environment is. Like, I don't want to, like, expose myself here, but, like, sometimes when you're in high school, you're in a car. <laughs> people have cars. Yeah, sometimes. And yeah, you're, happens, we're, we're, in, we're in Canada, too, so it's cold. That's it fair. It gets cold. So you're, um, so you're just scientifically explaining that that just because it's cold outside does not mean it can't get a little hot in the car like okay brass tacks when i drive and my dog's in the car the window fogs up because he's just breathing really fast all right i don't even have the heat on and the window i'm not saying it doesn't make sense i'm just saying i noticed it like i noticed how sweaty they were like you could tell before they said action there was someone with a spray bottle oh just spritzing like spritzing them like it was drenched that's all. I just noticed how sweaty it was. And I was like, For me, it wasn't the sweat that got me. It was the way her hand moved on the window. Yeah, what position are they in? I tried to figure that out, and I gave up on that. I just don't care. You know what? I just believe they had a good time. I don't care. I, Yeah, I thought about it, too. And then I just, like, I sent it from my mind. I'm like, it's, I'm not going to be happy with the answer. The car's not big enough. Don't think about it too much. Do you have Do you have the same problem I have? And it just works in the Titanic because the chemistry and the fireworks and all that. Well, I think with everything we know, we can assume that this is Kate's first time uh, running mm-hmm. down and having sex with someone in the back of her car. Do you have sure. this problem that I had where it's just like, man, everyone in the films is getting a wonderful first experience. That's just great and glorious with the hottest people ever and nothing goes wrong. And, and we don't see it, but she looks positively stoked at the end. And like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, there's no problems. There's not a, there's not a thing that went out of place. There's not anything that went wrong. There's not any awkwardness or whatever. It just goes fantastic. I feel like every time I've heard about people explain their first experience, there's something like not as sexy about it. And this happens not just in Titanic, but in everything else. And I just want to point out, they don't address specifically that Kate uh, is a virgin, but I think we can. Uh, Kate Winslet like Rose, we can figure yeah. that out. That I think she probably is. Leo, his character Jack. Sorry, you can. I think I assume that he's not. like after the French drawings, he's been having some fun. So maybe he's just really good at what he's doing. I don't know. I just these first time experiences. It happens. I just want to say in Bridgerton as well. Another great story that's wonderfully told. But it's like everyone's just having oh, a. Yep. <laughs> everyone's just having a great time. <laughs> 
all the time in media. And I just, I just wanted to call it out. Um, I, I think like the Titanic is a movie gets the benefit of like 80 years ago, rose colored glasses, love of your life. If there was some more awkwardness, she's probably forgotten about it. That's true. You're right. This is one of those things that can be smoothed over with, uh, it's been 80 years. Yeah. Um, but like they're both hot and they have great chemistry. So my headcanon is that they had fantastic times and nothing went wrong. And everything was great. Okay, perfect. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> the official the official stance of uh, Brad and Rachel is that that makes sense. That checks out. Yeah. That's perfect. All right. Is there anything else about the film Titanic? We, have, we both have lots of notes we still haven't covered. Anything that's sticking out is super important to you that you want to get to? Mm. You have a lot of thematic stuff about like like the case. I feel like we talked at the beginning a little bit about the journey of Rose being in a cage to then being out of it. But you have a ton of good notes that might be worth going over just real quick. Yeah. Let me see if I can kind of um, bring it all together without talking for like half an hour. But basically I see this movie as having um, three main themes or, or things to revolve around. There's love, there's freedom and then I've said this before, the hubris. So ultimately, the story of the Titanic is that of a tragedy. Um, people were overconfident and they drove the ship into an iceberg because they thought they were more powerful than God and nature. And a lot of people died because of it. So hubris. But when we look at a more personal level, um, we see Rose and she gets on this ship. And she doesn't see this ship like everyone else. They see this. They're going. They're leaving Europe. They're going to the States. This is freedom. They're leaving somewhere they've been. And they get to see the new world. For Rose, this feels like a trap. She's caged on this boat. She can't leave. And she's engaged to this man that she hates. Or at least is like doesn't like or is afraid of. And the Rose that we meet at the start of the movie feels so trapped that the only way she can escape that is by trying to jump off the back of the boat into the ocean. And so um, I think Jack kind of presents himself as a, as an alternative to that, like as, as almost like a, a physical embodiment of the freedom that she craves. Like on the other hand, Cal obviously would be the embodiment of captivity and repression um but as the movie goes on i think jack finds opportunities to show her like more and more on a slightly escalating scale things that she can do to kind of claim back pieces of herself that she blocked away um and then even when the ship is sinking i like the nice little reversal of theme where jack is the one that's trapped when he's handcuffed and she makes the choice to go free him so in that way, that that role reversal is also nice. Um, but then to tie it all up, even when Jack dies, when they're she's on the door, maybe what if they're both of them? But in any case, when oh, we're going to talk about water, that. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not leaving this podcast without talking about the door. Um, Sorry to but interrupt, but we are getting there. It's okay. It's okay. But even when he's in the water and she's on the door. His priority is not himself. It's to make sure that she knows that she promises 
to live the life that she wants. And he says, like, you have to do this. And I think it's it's even more heartbreaking because it's all he's ever wanted for her. I don't get the impression that Jack as a character wanted things from Rose. He wanted things for her. Absolutely. He immediately is like, he's having a good time, but he just, I think he just feels lucky to be there. Like, he's just so enamored by Rose that he just wants... Like he knows, I think he knows that he can't give her the world, but he wants someone to give her the world or for her to go and get the world or something. He like. wants her to have it. Yeah, yeah. So like even just staying with her until the end, making sure that she gets onto that door because yeah, she would have survived if she'd got on the boat with her mother and, and all the other first class passengers, but she wouldn't have been free. Right. She would have still had to marry Cal. So even in his last actions of getting her to the hull of the ship, making sure that she gets on that door, he he frees her. And so I think you see that progression from the start of the story up until right at the end when she drops the necklace back in and she's dropped this weight that she's carried for 80 years and She's finally free to join them in depth. That's my headcanon. I don't know for sure. Oh, we're going to get there because your take on that yeah. is impressive. It was an impressive <laughs> bit of film analysis. So we got I got a whole <laughs> list we're still going to cover quickly. Um, that was the only other thing I really wanted to catch. I think we've kind of touched. Like the thing, if you're listening to this podcast, the thing about a movie like Titanic is you could talk for nine hours about it and not cover every little thing or moment. Um, I really wanted to cover the Rose sequence, the entire sequence from when she makes the choice to jump off the lifeboat. Actually, no, fuck it. When she gets on the lifeboat, because Cal and Jack are both there, and Cal, being a prick, is like trying to, in a nice-ish way, like he's trying to get Rose on the boat, which I think, no matter how bad your intentions mm-hmm. are, I think we can all agree, like, in the moment, like, Rose, we want Rose to be on the lifeboat. She should not die. Like, we're all, if we take everything else out of the consideration, there's an emergency, and there's a lifeboat, and we like Rose, so be safe, all right? Mm-hmm. Um... And so he's like, like, don't worry, I've made an arrangement. Jack and I are going to, like, Cal knows that the button to press is Jack. I'm taking Jack. He's going to be safe, right? And you can get on this lifeboat, which he's not going to do that. But, you know, it's it's comforting enough for Rose to hear it. And Jack hops in knowing that that's bullshit. He, like, jumps on in. And he's like, yeah, yeah, look, this guy, this guy, water under the bridge. Like, the nude photo is all good. That happened, like, 10 seconds ago. Did he just try and like shoot me, maybe, or whatever? That might happen after, but does, no, that happened before. Uh, did he just try and shoot us running around the ship? Does that happen after? I don't know. Oh, after, yeah, after she. Okay, she gets happens after. In, did in he just plant the fucking thin metal? No, this is all. Yeah, did he just plant the metal? This is all after too, right? Oh, this is all fucking after. He, he, no, he plants the the necklace in the in the pocket, and then he finds it, sends Jack down. Rose goes to get him. So this is they after the necklace. This, yeah, yeah, they do all this shit to get back to the top. Then they find Cal by the boat. Then they get her on. Because he gives the jacket gets... to her with the thing already in it. Yes. Gotcha. And then she gets off the boat. And he was like, you would rather die with this peasant than live? I'd rather, to get oh, on the boat with I'd rather be and his whore than your wife. Fucking Rose. Yes. Clapping. I yeah. love it. And then he chases them with a gun. Because right. Okay. So, but it is after the necklace. He does, it is after the <laughs> necklace thing. So, like, Jack knows, yeah. like, oh, this whole necklace thing, water under the bridge. Like, I like this. We're homies. Don't worry. Listen to him. I'll be safe. 
Uh, you get on yeah. the boat. So Jack's being a hero, as always. The decision for Rose to hop off the boat, you've already explained that, so I won't dive into it, but just immaculate storytelling that it's like, yeah, like she wouldn't be free. She would just be stuck with her mom. She would rather be dead with Jack on the boat than be stuck in a lifeboat with her mom or whatever. And so that's fine. The whole sequence where Rose goes, I found it very, this is one of those things that's like, you don't really find it that romantic. You just like marvel at like the determination, right? And they don't make her seem superhuman. Like she's confused and she's going the wrong way, but she's confident and she's yelling at the elevator dude to take her down. Right. And there's an emergency. So not a ton of other people are willing to help her. And none of them care about Jack that much. But she just like mm -hmm. keeps on going. She gets to the E deck. Right. She can't take the handcuffs off. So she has to go get the axe. And again, like it's not like she just stumbles out and finds it. Like she tries a bunch of other things first. But she's like, fuck it. Got to go with the axe. Right. And then she saves Jack. And then they get, they go through the shootout sequence or whatever, which I can take or leave. It, the shootout sequence doesn't yeah. really do a ton for me, but that's fine. And so they're running around the boat, but then it flips back to Jack knowing what to do and to know where to be on the boat and to know how to get to the top and to climb over the rail. Like that rail does a lot of heavy lifting to, to climb over the rail. And now that's where the safety is. Yeah. Before that was a huge problem, but the safety is now over the rail where you can use gravity to pin you to the boat instead of falling yeah. off the boat, right? Yeah. And so that was a cool bit of metaphorical like mind games where it's like the way James Cameron decided to use the gravity to make that side of the railing. And I will equip this is where we first met Jack as if there's no fucking emergency going on. Like, yeah. thanks Rose. Right. But that whole, and it was so well done and like the lights flickering on and off and like her, Oh, and Very. like the trudging through the water as well. Everything about it, everything about that sequence of Rose going to get Jack. I was extraordinarily moved by. I, I don't know why that I've never been moved by that as much before. But it fit with the character. It, they didn't make her a superhero. Like, she felt very human, right? They did a great mm -hmm. job of, like, understanding how the disaster works. Like, it, it's like every, whoever is in charge of continuity was very good. Like, by the time she comes out of the room, things have flooded more. So they have to find other ways. And I think where the movie magic is, is, like, they always find another way. <laughs> like, there's always another corridor to go down, which seems a little movie mm -hmm. magic to me. But that whole fucking sequence. So I just want to mention it as a 20-minute um kate winslet runs through the water of the titanic to save jack was exquisite filmmaking i was very emotional yeah and i think at least for me um it's harder to watch on a rewatch which everything is a rewatch now because i've seen it a bunch of times but you know that it's all in vain like she right how how fortunate they are and how many lucky breaks they get and how Jack's intuition and skill gets them to the top of the boat. And I, I think it's Jack's intuition because they're a real team in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like Jack's intuition and skill and calmness in an emergency mixes with mixed with like roses. Um, she's very clever. She's very um, confident. She's very determined. She's certainly the more determined of the two of them. And it's like the perfect mix of these two people and their personalities to get them to the safe part of the boat for yeah. fucking what rose yeah. is just as alive as she would have been on the lifeboat in a very different situation and jack's just as dead as he would have been handcuffed to that radiator mm -hmm. right like yeah yeah it's 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 immaculate storytelling because like it's it's this is this is okay i'm i'm going back now i'm flipping this is an opinion i heard on another podcast that's not my own original okay. opinion but um Oh, what was it? Fuck, now I can't even remember what they <laughs> Damn it! 
what was the oh, it was something to do with Jack motherfuck anyway that Jack should have just told Rose to leave nah because that would be wrong no 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 that all that all made yeah. sense all right um so I love talking about that I think we've talked about how harrowing the disaster is I don't need to go through every bit of this like every individual thing but like every time you pan to another set of people it's really sad um the people even the people like falling off from gravity and like hitting the people jumping off the boat the guy shooting the people trying to get on the boat what i did like about it as a whole without going over every individual moment is it felt i've never been in this kind of disaster it just felt pretty truly everyone's reacting differently Everyone's at a different level of panic. Everyone has a different situation. Everyone's at a different level of commitment. Some of the people on the boats are really committed to women and children only. Some of them are taking bribes. Some of them aren't. Like you have a wide variety of human reactions to an emergency. And while I've never been in the Titanic, a lot of my work involves medical emergencies, which are like, there are certain bits of all emergencies and things that are very similar, regardless of the type of emergency. And you get a wide variety of responses. Like at work, I know who to call on in the emergency, like who's calm and who handles it really well and who can kind of, we have a whole team of like very senior first aiders. Some of the best people I know in doing like first aid and saving people's life are useless in an emergency because they just freeze or forget everything or whatever. And it's not their fault. There's everyone has a different reaction. Some people are getting dressed and having cigars. The dude who made the boat it's like, ah, fuck it, I fucked up. Just like, staring at the fireplace. Like, I'm sorry I couldn't make you a stronger, but like, he just, the captain too, the captain just Pride. like, going down with the ship, like, all these variety of human reactions were great. The people praying, the minister who was doing the praying, the quartet who was doing the band playing, the, them, you put in your, you put in the discord, like, they're not playing for everyone else, they're playing for themselves, and I was like, yeah, they are, they're playing. I see. They, I assume they leave and they come back. So I just, without making people listen to this super sad and going over every individual moment, the entire disaster sequence and the human reactions to it, I felt while done exquisitely for movie magic, also felt like a reasonable and real variety of reactions that you get in an emergency. Yeah. And I will say, I, I know you said we're not going to talk about the sad stuff, but just I was raised in for the most part in a, in a post 9-11 world and having done my research on all of that it makes watching a lot of what happens before the titanic capsizes just really hard to watch yeah it, you feel it in the pit of your stomach yeah i'm i'm attributing covid to my feelings more than 9-11 but mm. you're a little bit older maybe it hits with you a little bit harder I not in like a mean way. You're only a couple of years older, but I was like six when a I had a couple of years. Yeah, I was only nine. Right, but... but I think I think you're. I think like formative things happening at nine years old are way more precious more, more than as a six year old. The amount of things I can remember from when I was nine is way more than the amount of things I can remember from when I was six. Yeah, but just with that knowledge and being like raised in that world and knowing kind of what happens when those kind of disasters happen, it made watching people's like actors actions when um when the ship was sinking really really tough which is again why i was texting you i don't know if i can watch this this is gonna wreck me <laughs> fair enough all right we're at we're, we're making great time we're at about two hours of actual podcasting time heck oh, yeah wow. we got some questions we need to answer <laughs> we're gonna rapid fire these questions just to make sure they get okay. done um 
Rachel, we're gonna do some awards at the end of which Rachel was an MVP of coming up with the fucking awards we're gonna give out. But that's okay. We're gonna start with some questions. As we were taking our notes, we all put some questions down that we needed to answer. I'm just gonna go from top to bottom. We'll answer them real quick. Uh, some of my questions were, was that the sexiest first kiss of all time? I think we landed on yeah, mostly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What do we think of Rose throwing the heart of the ocean down into the wreck? We have covered that. How fucking lucky are Rose and Jack to get in, or how fucking lucky do, how did I write this? Do Rose and Jack need to be to escape just for him to die anyways? We just covered that. This is my question <laughs> that we haven't covered. How do we rec reconcile? This came up because we're watching The Last of Us right now. And The Last of Us is a show that really wants you to empathize with people who do shitty things because they're human and humans do shitty things when their back's up against the wall, like in a disaster. Um, mm. I want to take a second to just like, how do we reconcile people and their survival instincts because in this movie you're meant to understand that the one boat that came back was the heroic boat and it saved rose and rose is saying like only one boat came back and it saved six people right and then the other 19 boats didn't come back and our view of the other 19 boats is through kathy bates who we haven't mentioned but just real quick kathy bates amazing performance we both agree on that she's fucking incredible um right and the guy in the boat says well if we go back to save them they'll swamp the boat the key difference is when that when that boat was contemplating going back, everyone was alive and swimming. And then when the one boat did go back, everyone was dead except for six people. Right. And so when you hear that, you your immediate reaction is to go bunch of fucking pricks. Like, go and save who you can save. There's lots of room in your boat. You can't save anybody, but you can save some people. However, I'm not entirely unconvinced either. Or I'm not entirely convinced that he's not wrong. Like if, no, he's, if, he's if, not wrong. He's, he's not like if you right. go to a bunch of people and their backs up against the wall and you just put that lifeboat in a bunch of desperate, do you think they're gonna swim into an orderly line and get into a boat? And then when the boat's full, that last person in the water is gonna be like, Well, that sucks. Like, no, they're all gonna I, I think that boat does get swamped. I don't think that's right. It, and it like, absolutely does. And like you're, you're playing with they... those probabilities. If you go in, there's a 95% chance that you can save a few people, but there's even a five percent chance that like your boat's going to get swamped and you'll just end up in the water anyway, killing more people than was ever necessary. It's easy. And it is, it, things can be two things at the same time. It is selfish too, to not even really consider it, but that doesn't mean he's not also wrong. And I don't want to spoil anything from the last of us, but if you watch the last of us, if you're listening to this right now, like, man, this guy on this podcast is a real fucking prick for sympathizing with the boat that didn't go and save people. Just watch the last of us. and You'll understand what I mean that like, sometimes you do need to dig a little deeper it's the same with the door and we're going to talk about the door. And when we talk about the door, we're going to talk about like what kind of situation might've worked, right? Could they have swapped places for a few minutes at a time or whatever? Right. And sure, maybe, maybe there is a version of the swapping that works and both of them live, but maybe there's a version of the swapping, like doing it this way, it guarantees at least one of them survive doing the swapping makes the chance that both of them die much higher. Right. And so you're always playing with these probabilities in an emergency that in retrospect looks super selfish and villainous. But when you actually like put yourself in that moment and do the math and like try and figure out how what the reasonable way to respond is. Right. Yeah, they can be selfish, but they can also just be true. And some things can be selfish yeah. and true at the same time. And that doesn't mean one is any more correct than the other, because I think that boat yeah. does get swapped. I'm pretty convinced of that. That that boat just gets turned over oh, with like the no, desperate. No, 100% does. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm not a lifeguard, but I did a few lifeguarding courses in my time. And one of the first things they teach you when um, in the hypothetical situation that someone is drowning 
is that you can't just go up to them and try to help them because the first thing a drowning person is trying to do is get out of the water like, and they will drown drown you, drown you to get out of the water it. yeah which is we see that literally happen to rose someone sees that she's a life jacket and they push her under the water because he's trying to get some air so there i the, the villainy for me isn't refusing to go back the villainy is refusing to fill up the boats with everyone who could have been on them right and that gets to your first what? question since we're going to power through the movie doesn't really make yeah. clear whose fault the actual collision was where do you think it lies your question I'll, you take the first crack whose fault is it rachel yeah i, I think because there's so many options it's like is it the engineer for not building a better boat is it the guy whose name i never bothered to learn who said maybe you should just turn all the engines on captain for being cocky is it the two watch out guys who were watching jack and rose kiss instead of looking for the iceberg we covered that um ultimately i think it lies um with the captain and the guy who decided to push for the extra engines to be on at least in the movie i i i'm, I'm not a historical expert but oh, yeah, we're reviewing the film I, don't worry about the but, real life <laughs> yeah but in that sense, I think it lies with the captain because the captain's discretion has to be to say, we've never, you know, this is a maiden voyage. There's no reason we need to go balls to the wall, all guns blazing as fast as we can possibly go. We should just get there. And he's had enough experience to just say, no, fuck off. I'm going to go at my own pace. And ultimately, they're going so fast that they can't turn in time. If they were going slower, they could have turned in time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer that question with the same. If I had to like pick a group of people, I'm going to pick the captain and the cowardly dude who works for White Star that ends up in the in a lifeboat at the end. Like The shameful way he looks getting into that lifeboat was also great storytelling. Like The guard looks at him like, you motherfucker, you absolute coward. Yeah. I'm going to stay and die on this boat. And the person that runs the company isn't even going to go down with the ship. You piece of shit. I love that. Like, such good storytelling with just an eyeline. Um, However, classic situation where it's a bunch of small mistakes. That, like, at any one point, the small mistakes could have been avoided and the whole disaster would have been avoided. Doesn't mean you wouldn't have problems, but it wouldn't have been the same thing. And so, ultimately, when a bunch of small mistakes lead to a giant catastrophe your problem is just at the top with some kind of culture or safety regulation issue or whatever if you have a system in place where you allow for that many small mistakes to be made to even end up at the emergency then it's the captain it's ultimately the captain and the dude who runs the boat company certainly not the guy who Mm -hmm. made the boat like that that guy's totally not his fault at all he made a pretty like my understanding is that ship was pretty fucking sturdy and it took a really unlikely slice of an iceberg to sink it and even then it sunk pretty freaking slowly like I, my yeah, understanding he, of the boat yeah. is that the construction guy did a great job. So, um, but yeah, it's the people who decided that lifeboats, like sight lines right. are better than lifeboats. It's the people who decide. It's all those kind of top line decisions. It's the same in Chernobyl. Like every engineer in that room made some dumb fucking decisions that blew up the disaster, right? Yeah. But the ultimate responsibility lies at the top of the Soviet Union who didn't allow those engineers to see the classified information about the reactors, which would have told them that if they made these dumb decisions, they would end up sinking the or exploding the reactor, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to blame the people making the small dumb choices because making small dumb choices is human. We all do it all the time. 
I make like we all make a bunch of small dumb choices that just don't result in catastrophes. Um, but if you have a culture that allows for that many small dumb choices to be made, resulting in a catastrophe, that's on you, and not on yeah. the people making the the dumb choices. All right. Do we ever see? I love this. Do we ever see second class? Fuck no, Rachel. We don't see second class. Movies need to dumb things down. It's so much easier. It's like a third class, first class. That's it. If it's a military movie, like have you seen Top Gun Maverick? Yes, it's really like yeah. It's like they just need to bomb a plant. Like there's no military strategy. They just need to hit that thing or kill that bridge or destroy that tank or whatever. Like a science movie, yeah. they just need to find the formula. You know what I mean? Like movies just need to be dumbed down so like us stupid people can understand them and you can tell the story in three yeah. hours. Yeah, no, second class. It's fascinating to look at, but no, fuck second class in this movie. You got, you got the lice head steerage people and that's where Jack is. And then you get the rich assholes and there's no, the only spectrum in between is Molly Brown, who is a rich asshole, but nicer because she's nouveau riche. Yeah, it's either rags or riches. That's exactly right. Uh, was Rose's mom fake crying in the corset scene? Fuck. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. No, I think she was. But I, I also she... I strongly detest Rose's mom. So I think she was crying in the corset scene. I just want to point out you had some great notes oh, about the corset tightening being a, a a relation for the cage Rose was being yeah. put in. That was really good. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like if super quickly, if you notice, the maid is kind of doing it in like a regular way, like soup soup. Oh, you're in a corset, and corsets are usually used to represent like being repressed and being restrained and then the mom comes in and she just starts yanking it and like to the point where rose's body like physically recoils from the force of the pull and so i thought that was just like some nice symbolism that she's like you will marry this man that you hate and you will do everything i say or our family will be destroyed while just like caging her into this corset uh and then she uh, at least in my opinion fake cried about being poor so yeah and no, i think the crying at the top <laughs> is fake ish like it's it might not be fake but it's exaggerated to to convince rose to stick with cal i think the kind of tearing up she does when she realizes rose is going to die on the boat or she thinks i think that's real that's my take she loves rose she just wants to rose to stay in the box that she put her in is kathy bates redeemable at the end even though she's on the boat with the other terrible people oh definitely i don't think any of this is kathy bates i still think yes (laughs) you didn't even put molly brown it's just kathy bates as a person is she redeemable I couldn't remember her name. That's all good. Honestly. And then like it's Kathy Bates. Am I gonna look it up or am I just gonna yeah. say it's Kathy nah. Bates? Uh yeah, I think she's redeemable at the end. That's what I'm saying. I think I think the I think the dude who didn't go back is ultimately an asshole, but I don't think that means he can't be at least partially redeemable. I don't think he was wrong that the boat was gonna get swamped. I just think he's a fucking jerk about it. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, I just it's more just like the ethics of paying lip service but ultimately doing nothing. Yeah, in general, I agree with that. I think in this case, like, what is she going to do? Row the boat herself? Yeah. Like, I like, I don't think yeah. I don't think that that's a realistic yeah. thing. I think that's fair. Do we wish we had seen more of the underwater Titanic wreckage? I'm going to go with we saw enough for the story. It's already three hours and 15 minutes. And the footage we saw was uh, like in parts of it quite real. Like they really did do 12 dives or whatever to go and take a lot of that footage. Um, so I'm going to say I'm going to say we saw enough like. I just don't want this movie to be any longer. It's exactly as long as it needs to be. I don't want it to be shorter, but I really need to pee at the end of a three hour and 15 minute. Give me, <laughs> give me some deleted scenes with it in like a DVD or a Blu-ray. Sure. But I don't need it in the film. Yeah. I, I just wrote this question literally with the last scene in mind where they're going through in the underwater main hall and it kind of morphs into 
um, the entrance to the Grand Hall and the, the first class deck. I loved the cinematography for that and the effects for that. And I just feel like I would have really loved more transitions like that, where like maybe Rose is looking at one of the like old Rose is looking at one of the TVs on the ship and she's like, oh, I remember that place. Like maybe like this was my room. And then you right. through the TV and it's like the, the desiccated room and then it transitions again. That just it's just me thinking, but I would have loved to see more underwater. So maybe I'll Google it after. There's lots of it. You can see lots of it underwater. They went down yeah. recently, like last year, I think, and got a bunch oh, of photos yeah. of it. All right. What do you think the overriding theme of this movie is? Rachel, what is the overriding okay. theme of Titanic the movie? Uh, I, well, I think my answer is probably obvious by now, but I think it's it's um, freedom. Mm. I think, I think but, you're like, right. I'm trying to find from... a con- contrary opinion just to say two different things, but I think you might be right. Yeah, I think, like, you could also, like, freedom is, if you're being more of a romantic about it, like, inevitability or, like, the hubris of mankind. The hubris of <laughs> mankind wanna, is a good take, Jesus. If you want to be more pessimistic, because ultimately, like, yeah, it's a love story, but there were lots of love stories on that ship. And, like, not even one half of a lot of the couple's made it out families died lots of people died so the question is are you going to look at it from a rose perspective where she got what she needed from that event or are you going to look at it like um we could have been better i think the overarching theme of the movie is that you should take naval safety very seriously and that (laughs) that if you do not bad things can happen i don't know you could pick on like a really on a really fundamental level like you could say freedom love those types of things i I try and try and find themes as a result to of a question like what is Mm -hmm. the question the the film wants us to ask ourselves um Mm -hmm. and i i think maybe the overriding questions of the film are like um what happens when you what happens when you follow your heart and do break free from your situation might be interesting um what happens when you do fall in love with leonardo dicaprio and he's an accomplished nude artist and can have a good time in a car like what what does that look like i don't know um yeah it's a love story like they, what does george r. r martin say the human heart in conflict with itself that's a cheat mm. answer but that's most stories you can kind of sum up like that that excess yeah. excess wealth and riches is bad for society. I don't know. There's a bunch of them that you can. Yeah. It's a it's a great movie. Any good film is multi layered. You can pick a bunch of these yeah. themes out. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. I think it's all That's those a, things together in one. I'm never gonna read a romance by George R. R. Martin though. It's brutal. <laughs> it is so bad. It's so bad. I don't, I'm not even getting there. Okay. Did Rose die at the end? Yeah. Yeah, but you're gonna yeah. you're gonna analyze this because I said I don't care because I don't think it matters. <laughs> like she could either die or she could see Leo at the top of the staircase in a dream sequence. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But you made a great analysis, and then I went back and I framed the <laughs> film. So someone's gonna email me telling me I'm wrong, but I double checked and I it checks out. <laughs> yeah. So um, I noticed when I was rewatching just yesterday that when so first of all they do like the slow lead up of showing you her entire life through pictures except for very noticeably her entire family but skipping that um and then <laughs> no we're not skipping <laughs> it it's weird <laughs> sorry <laughs> we fast forward and we go we go into the wreckage 
of the of the Titanic, which makes sense if you think about it. she dropped her metaphorical heart into the ocean, so now it's there too. And we zoom in and we go into a now perfectly restored um, version of the Grand Hall. And the people that are there that are happy to see her are all people who perished in the in the sinking. Not a single like, person there that's like that survived the sinking. It's incredible. I had never noticed that. Yeah, and and some people who like I guess had a more noticeable death or more obvious than others, like Victor Garber is there, and then Leo's friend who was shot is also there, and his friend who was crushed by the tower. Um, I even think like the the old couple spooning. Like the dad and the, the baby water. that were in the water were there. Yeah, the dad and the baby, and then even when the camera pans around, um, the captain is there too. Yeah, um, yeah, it's all the people. It's like all the people that are at the bottom of the ocean welcoming her back. Yeah, and then she gets to the top of the stairs and she finds Jack, and then what? It, what I really liked is she's wearing white, so it's very kind of reminiscent of a wedding, and so um, just at the it could be a dream but i think it's kind of it's symbolic of her finally joining all the people that she left behind 80 years ago and just finally accepting that that was where her heart always was all right best performance we're in the awards section now (laughs) rachel's about to shine rachel puts on rachel puts on a real professional vibe for the podcast but when you ask her to do it, when you ask her to do an outline, shit gets weird. Okay. Uh, our first performance, our first award is going to best performance, which is a normal category. That makes sense. Um, this is just the best acting performance. Uh, I put the iceberg immaculate right in the perfect place. Does maximal damage. Like, it's just an incredible performance on the iceberg. Oh, yeah. uh, but for human actors, I give it to Kate Winslet. Uh, I think it's fucking nuts that Leo was not nominated for an Oscar for this movie, especially because the film had 14 Oscar nominations. Like, what the hell? Leo deserved it. Like, whoever was in Uli's gold that year, can't remember who that was. Get them out of there. We're putting Leo in. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. Uh, Kate Winslet was nominated for an Oscar for this performance. I do not think she won, although I could be wrong. Um, However, her performance is stunning. It's immaculate. She perfectly captures Rose and all the complexities that she needs to capture. Uh, I just just noticed in your notes that you disagree with me. I don't think Leo has quite as much to do. And that's not as much acting to do. I think he has a lot of acting to do. I think the acting he has to do is easier. I think that Kate Winslet has to give us like a crying sequence where she's convinced herself she's going to jump, but she's not... Her face needs to say that she's not so that Leo can like I think her her scenes are more complex. I think it's easier to act out Leo being confident at a dinner than it is for Kate Winslet to to give us some of the emotional performance she's giving. Um so I just think I just think if I have to pick between the two, um it's gonna be Kate Winslet for just a wonderful for her performances as Rose. And shouts to Leo, who is also amazing and should have been nominated for an Academy Award. And I don't, I don't know who the fucking five people were that were nominated but I'm positive I can find one to bump out of there for Leo in this movie. It's a great performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I've got two. Like if you, obviously you have to pick one of Kate or Leo. They're the two best performers. You, you have and, to, yeah. but then the film is also filled with beautiful performances. So I've got two. So I'll, I'll start with Leo just to kind of play devil's advocate. 
I think his character, I think Jack starts the movie is ultimately like pretty selfish. Like the first thing you see about him is that he steals, he doesn't steal, but he wins it in a gambling match. He takes someone's opportunity to go to America and he's like, haha, bye. And he isn't even like, were you serious? Did you mean to do that? He just takes it and runs. And it's, that's just what he wants to do. And he does it. Um, You know, the first time he sees Rose, she, he's intrigued like even before cal comes out and he's like oh she need help he's intrigued by her and he wants her and so he like approaches her and he I, don't, I wouldn't say he wants something but he's interested in her but then at the same time you also get the impression that he is a person understands grief because he's able to help her off that ledge and he becomes a supporter for her and then yeah i'll say like um Leo didn't have to do like the crying over the ledge scene but what he did have to do was play the entire second half of the movie knowing that his character would die to keep Rose safe without telling Rose that he was going to do it, that I, I want to be clear it's an immaculate performance and I really am twisting and like to pick one over the other I just yeah. think even at the end Leo's performance is incredible as it is I think I think Rose matches him shot for shot. She's got a lot of emotional shit she's doing too. And I, yeah. I it's great. You're making a good case. Leo's performance is a great yeah. pick. But then I also just like very, very briefly, I just want to give a shout out to Victor Garber. Who plays, great, I great shout name out. Is Thomas Andrews. I think that's his name. But like great. That. Full disclosure. I really wanted to hate him in this movie because the first time I'd ever seen Victor Garber was in Legally Blunt and he played the really gross professor. So I saw him in this movie and I was like, fuck this guy's that guy. stuck. Like, like, fuck him. I'm not interested. He built a bad boat. And then by the end, I'm like, I'm sorry, you couldn't build a better boat too. I was so, I was he, crying. And he says, the way he line reads Dear Rose, fucking nuts. Incredible. And it just, he goes from like the man in the pinnacle of his field, like reaching the highest heights than you can think of for his profession to just the absolute depths of despair because he realized that the very best that he could do wasn't good enough and just that range and then also the relationship he builds with rose I, so i think that was a fabulous fabulous job obviously not as much material to sink your teeth into as kate and leo but worthy of a shout out i'm looking at the uh actors in a supporting role to see if anyone got any for titanic and no one did that's fair enough though i guess they all had kind of like it not like like the tier below supporting role i wouldn't say there was like a secondary character jack and rose they were all like tertiary characters uh, helen know? hunt won for as good as it gets fair enough sorry kate winslet mm. um <laughs> gloria stewart got actress for a supporting role in titanic is that the mom i swear to god <laughs> if it's not if it's not uh molly brown oh my goodness the oscars are is that the mom? No, it's the old lady. The old lady. Which... Yeah, who plays Rose. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Fair. That makes sense. <laughs> Sorry, thank God. Okay, sorry. I just, that was a tangent. I was just wondering if Victor Garber got a supporting <laughs> nomination. Uh, and yeah, sorry, I'm kicking up Peter Fonda for Uli's Gold to put Leo in. I'm sorry, fair. Peter. Anyways. All right. Um, favorite scenes. Uh, I went with the, the first Kate and Leo scene on the rail. We've talked about it a bunch, mostly because it's just underappreciated. You can pick all the, the fun scenes to pick. Um, this is just a masterclass in acting from both of them. It's funny. It's 
compassionate it's emotional it's it, it's just well written and well acted and just i stuck out it's one of those you didn't notice until i watched it for the 57th time but once i noticed it i was like this is a masterclass." so i loved it yeah and then i've also talked about this so i'll keep it brief uh but i i i erroneously named it i'm the king of the world scene but i do mean the i'm flying jack scene their first kiss uh and there for obvious reasons i'll never have a chance to make out with leo like this because i'm over 25 that was fucking hilarious when i read that not because because you uh don't know him or don't have any connections just because you just know once you're over the age of 20s you're fucked it's over it's over over. i have the opposite problem i'll never get to kiss kate winslet like that because i'm too young i think Mm, you know what i mean it's the opposite issue less gross it's way it's way less gross but it's still a prohibitive (laughs) i'm still not kissing kate winslet on the deck of a boat oh well we're also not gonna die on the boat so i will take that train i will Um, die on a boat if i can make out with kate winslet before the ship goes down give me that train i'm in okay that's maybe insensitive considering we're talking about the titanic but yeah, it's okay. can, can I leave you to go make out with Leo DiCaprio on a boat? He's looking Someone at me. Said, Yo, you're gonna make out with Kate Winslet, but then the boat you're on is gonna sink, and then maybe you'll make it out. Maybe you won't be like, eh, well. Yeah, and you're like, where? Like in like Lake Ontario? That could be on my. <laughs> that could be on my. <laughs> died in a boat crash, but made out with Kate Winslet. That's okay. Put that on uh, my gravestone. All right. <laughs> um. Oh, you have an honorable mention. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, you can't get over how beautiful like the kiss scene is with the sunset and everything. But the unmitigated joy during the like the third class party scene with everyone dancing and drinking and having a good time. I love that scene and like the it, like the tap dancing that they do is sparks joy. So I like it. Absolutely. And now we're getting Rachel added a slew of questions to this document. I asked her for some awards we could give out, assuming we get like best performance, favorite scene, all these kind of things. She did give me a warning that her mind was in the gutter, but that's okay. Uh, She came up with many, but I selected one. And the one I selected um, was who would you like to, who would you most like to split you in half like the Titanic? (laughs) Which Rachel is is a fucked up question, but that's okay. We're going (laughs) to... We're, we're gonna we're gonna answer it i I, wait, I have an honorable mention in this category too what was the other one there's another one two? yeah there was two of them okay but or did you say the same guy but in two different roles no no you had two you had two questions to add and i only added that one that's okay well let's just answer this one uh who would i most like to split me in half like the t- well i think i think the other one was who would you most want to ram you like an iceberg was, who would you most like to ram you like an iceberg <laughs> All right, i expect i want everyone listening i want emails for both questions you can take it literally or i don't know sexually but i took it both i picked pedro pascal for who I'd most like to... It is It is the year of our Lord, 2023. Pedro Pascal is on the internet calling himself our cool slutty daddy. And he is the sexiest caregiver of a child in The Last of Us. And he's in The Mandalorian. And he's just... Yeah. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty straight person, but Pedro Pascal can split me in half like the Titanic. That's how... Yeah, I- is that a satisfactory answer to your question? Yes. <laughs> okay, good. 
I I saw a meme the other day where it was like, by 2050, every single show is going to be about Pedro Pascal uh, escorting a quirky yet charming child. It's going to make answering this question only only easier. Now when yeah. someone else in my life randomly goes, <laughs> you like to <laughs> split you in half? I can just be more confident in my answer of Pedro Pascal. I didn't have like I didn't have like other ones. It was like who would like who would you most like to paint you like a French girl? That's like, true. Okay, we'll answer that too. We're, we're going off the top, but you have to answer who would just your question, and I answer it confidently okay. and with precision, no doubt okay. in my mind. I have I have an answer. I'm deeply embarrassed. It's fine. My answer for who'd you mostly just put you in half like the Titanic is Viggo Mortensen in his Aragorn era. And then I wrote, because it's extra gross, just like the doors when he makes it to Helm's Deep. That's probably gross, but everyone who's seen that scene knows what I'm talking about. And then to I made another joke because I was uncomfortable while I was writing this. Did you know that Viggo Mortensen actually broke his toe and he kicked that helmet, the two towers? I thought that was your question. Like, I was pretty uncomfortable answering this question. That's funny. I did not know that. I just thought for the viewers, for the audience, I did not know this was a known fact that Vigo Mortensen broke his toe kicking the helmet. I wasn't aware of that. But I, this question led to my higher learning. So you know what? Net benefit for society that we asked this question. Who would I most like to paint me like a French girl? I don't know. Who's a good painter? I want the portrait. I want it to look good. I'm less excited about this being somebody who I'm attracted to, and I'm more into this just being a a famous person that I would find, like, a cool story. Like, I want this to be someone cool enough that when I told, like, hey, this person painted me, they'd be like, what the fuck? Right? But also, I want the painting to be good. So I just don't have a list of kind of famous people. I don't have that Venn diagram of famous people I'm attracted to that are also good painters. Mm. That would take a commission to paint me naked. I want this to be a consensual process, so... I don't know. Well, I'm just thinking if if you want to be able to ever actually hang it anywhere, you could say Picasso because no one would ever know that was a nude. Oh, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to. I don't know. I'm, I'm not worried or about if you're thinking like, no, I'm not trying to get out of. I'm not trying to get out of. No, I'm not trying to get out of having myself painted naked in some version of like a likeness. I don't know. I just want it to be okay. good. You want the sensuality Like the rose. Ever? I want to be Rose where I'm in like 95 years old looking at it on TV being like, I am so glad everyone else gets to see this because I was hot as hell. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> I'm not worried about that. I'm not a self-conscious person. Mm. I am willing to be painted naked. That's not the problem. It is just who's going to do it. <laughs> it's that, just the quality of said painting. Yeah, it needs to be a high quality painting. And just in the spirit of the question, it needs to be somebody who's famous so that everyone knows who my answer is. So I don't know. Send me someone. Send me an email. Give me some options. I can retroactively tweet the answer. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to table this one for now. We'll we'll take it offline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tweeting my answer. You, you you can keep yours offline. I want I want my answer in the public now that they've listened to this. I owe it to the audience to answer this question. All right, that's enough questions about the Titanic and awards. We gave them out. Leo and Kate each get an award from us for best performance. Um, with shoutouts to Victor Garber. And then yeah. Pedro Pascal, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry, but you're the one who went on the internet and said, you're our cool slutty daddy. And I took that at face value. So here we are. <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast, please send us emails. <laughs> if you haven't already tuned out. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Go and write the podcast, review it. Uh, send us in your questions about Titanic. If you have any feedback on the pod or other things you want discussed, if there's enough 
sometimes you go into the inbox and there's zero emails and sometimes there's like a hundred and there's enough Titanic feedback. I'm sure Rachel would love to come back and talk some more Titanic with your observations mm -hmm. and bits of feedback. And maybe you disagree with us or agree with us or whatever. And we'd love to, to have those arguments in a, in a separate thing. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next one.